Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks, I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson, and Automobile in June rolls on That's what we do, that's how we do, hey how bro, we do listen, it Listen, listen, Life has been... Carl works at a, a winery. I work at a winery, and one thing that people really seem to want after this whole pandemic thing starts cooling off, yeah, wine. When the pandemic is cooling off and the weather is warming up, that's a perfect storm for people like coming out wine tasting. Yeah, like t- a lot of them all and the time. Also, for people to not uh, work. <laughs> Apparently, no one wants to work. Right? Yeah, we're uh, we're there's been some similar issues. We're finally starting sure, to get sure. that figured out. So yeah, us too. So all of the extra hours that you and I have been mm-hmm. unable to do the show, um, that that time period hopefully is coming to an end. But uh, dude, we're still watching movies. We're still chatting still about them. Still crushing. It. Still got two more in the month of May, June. May, June. Or, yeah. 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 And yeah. we're just clinging to uh, to sanity. <laughs> and these, a little bit. These movies are kind of one way to. To reassert normalcy, yeah, yeah. Where you get you get home and you're like, so what do I do tonight? Do I just come home, quick cry, then sleep, or right. wait? I actually have to watch a movie for the show. And think about it, and consider it, and make notes, right? And, and, and it, prepare. It, it forces some yes. like some like cogitation, you know. And I dig it. it. I feel like watching watching the last two flicks has been the only time that I've actually like thought. Oh in right, the, yeah. The like last couple weeks. even when I'm like throwing down a board game, I'm like just kind of like tuned out and like going through the motions. But here it's like, oh yes. To, plugged in, into some sort of in cognitive pinball terms, I feel like I'm like right always on the verge of like that tilt button yep. starting to glow, but it's not the buzzer <laughs> hasn't the gone warnings. off yet. Yeah. It's like <laughs> and I'm like I'm like, no, this is cool. This We're is fine. fine. Everything's fine. fine. I'll just give it another little gentle hip nudge. We'll be Here, fine. If I can just, I can just keep this ball going for like a two more seconds. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up and then yes. it'll settle again. Hip nudge. <laughs> that's so. That's been life. True. Um, so let's talk about the people who, the people, not just the the need for something that's not staring at a wall, which is you know met- metaphorically the bleak abyss. Yes. Um, the people who also have been responsible for keeping us watching movies and keeping us grounded in this crazy early summertime. Um, we'd love to thank our patrons. If you would like to become a patron, you can head on over to Patreon.com/slash/QuillAndFilm. Q U I L L A N D F I L M. Um, you can get shout outs on the show, full length bonus episodes. Actually, the way we're doing it this season is half of all of our like main programming drops on Patreon. So every month, except for this one, we're doing all of these ones on main season as kind of a tie in with that radio interview that we did last week. But, um, typically it goes back and forth. So each month, uh, we'll do half the movies on the main season and half the, half the movies over on the Patreon. So if you want to hear those or hear your name read on internet radio. I mean, who doesn't? I know. And just think, like, now imagine imagine that it's you that I mean when I say, thank you so much, baloney shoes. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever or silly whatever name you name want is. me to you want to make me say into a microphone once a week. You get to you that's the kind of power you exercise on us. You with, get to you put words in our mouth. That's right. With just a Every donation week. of a dollar a month, you you can force me to say and we would love to thank <clears throat> Wackety Schmackety Joe. Yeah, Wackety Schmackety Joe. Put Taint Face McGillicuddy. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever you you're like, 
Max is. I bet Max would feel silly saying a dollar a month. You make me say that into a microphone. Make Max say whatever (laughs) you want Max to say. Um, And once again. I would like to thank, I am a poo-poo face, you know, like <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> I eat poop. <laughs> so we would, but for real though, but we no. would love to thank Baloney Shoes. Yeah, that's a real one. Partly because I like saying those that those words together. I like hearing you say it. I, you know, it's good for all of us. Uh, we'd also like to thank Leslie Ty, Jeffrey T. Morgan, K. Ram, Kevin Ramirez, sister Sarah Hartley, William Rockwood, Brian Jackson, David Rowney, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Daniele Hartelli, Connor Sweeney. I believe his middle name is James. Connor James Sweeney. Is that right? Well, that sounds incredible if it is. I think it is. Like, what a, what a refined mm. and, like, you can just tell. Connor James Sweeney. Connor? Oh, think- Con- Connor is short for. Connor. Connor, right. Yes, of course. Connor James Sweeney. <laughs> and isn't he the second? Not junior, but no, the, the second. the second. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. junior is too. Right, it's pedestrian for whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what is he? What is he poor? No, he's the second. Oh, he's the second. Connor, Conifer, Conifer. Sure, Conifer. sure. It's these aristocratic names, dude. I'm just my my lowly plebeian tongue. I'm just really glad that he <laughs> does away with the transatlantic accent when he's on the show. When he's on the show, yeah. yeah. But it is kind of nice. Otherwise, he's like, oh, you're coming over. Oh, Dashing, man. I'll see you in an hour. <laughs> 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 he hangs up his phone. We'd also, um, as always and forever, we'd love to thank Casey Scheibe, Cynthia Van Manen, um, Cassandra, really quick for uh, listeners, uh, if you tune in, I'm not sure when the episode will drop, but today is June 3rd, Thursday, tomorrow on the 4th, that evening, I'll be sitting in again on Cassandra's show to talk about, I'm going to just say it. I'm gonna say it. it. I'm gonna blow it. I'm just Drop gonna blow it. her podcast up and be like, "You thought you were gonna get to announce this? We're gonna be talking about Fight Club." Fuck. Fuck yeah, dude. So we're we're getting together. We're chatting about Fight Club. I don't I can know. See the poster I had on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. I can see. I can see my uh, gelled hair. Yeah. <laughs> and my complete misunderstanding of, of everything pa- of pastiche was, yeah. and critique. <laughs> but yep. Gladly, I watched that movie enough in college that after like a couple months in college of watching that movie incessantly, it clicked, and I was like, "Oh, oh this is a this is a this is essentially parody." Yeah, this is a this is a critique of of what I'm watching. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna let me just go wash my hair and yeah, exactly. become a more thoughtful person and do some deep reading and some soul searching. Um, so yeah, tune into that. It's uh, you can find it on Spotify, iTunes. It's Cassandra Explains It All. It's actually a really excellent show. Um, and also we would like to thank John Shibe. He's been doing some really cool photography stuff. Yeah, I follow um, his um the Instagram yep. is Yonder John, I believe. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So check that out. Um, he does check- a lot of live stuff too. Like if you follow him, he does a lot of live uh, photography things. Like he'll go through his current portfolio and like, like talk about his process and in stuff. his uh in like his story right mm-hmm. yeah i'm yeah. almost never on instagram but i do notice you get the little like live yep tag with the swirlies it's really cool I, yeah yeah now it's time because carl and i have uh we have a bit of an episode for you today we watched a film we did watch a film i'm gonna say i think it's safe to say this is a film that we watched oh it's easily in that ca- capital F film. All right. Yeah. And uh, now the other fun thing about today's episode is because Carl and I always can't help ourselves and do a little bit of table talk, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you and I may have 
like a slightly different perspective. I think not not a 90 degree, but more like a 38 degree separation. There's a little wobble to this there's top. A, there's a little bit of a wedge under the table, okay. I think. There's a, little, right. a wobble wedge. You got the wobble wedge under one of the legs. Yeah. So we're going to get into it, and we're going to go deep. This is the most notes I've taken for a film since, I think, Hunger, probably. Wow. So uh, today we are talking about 1971's Tulane Blacktop. What are you trying to do? Blow my mind? Where is she? They split. Let's go. Don't matter. We don't want to go anyway. Come on. Okay, she's going to burn you. All they think about is cars. They're not for you. They're just a bunch of small town car freaks, that's all they are. They've been following me clear across two states. Three states. Sure we'll race, you damn right we'll race. Pink. Pink slips? You mean for cars? Where to? You name it. Washington, D.C. After D.C., we'll go on down to Florida. I've got some nice beaches down there. Just color me gone, baby! We gotta get some action soon. We'll need Fred to do a little work on the carburetors and check out the rear end. On air conditioning. On air conditioning. I don't like being crowded by a couple of punk road hogs clear across two states. If I wanted to bother, I could suck you right up my tailpipe. Now, this man's dangerous, officer. He passes on the right a couple of miles back. I swear he's going about 90. He must be on something. Take it easy, man. You're gonna kill us. the trailers sound like for every car movie is what we're exactly, gradually yeah. learning is <laughs> so they didn't have a lot more than just like okay a bunch of engine sounds rory racy bits and just throw in a couple of non sequitur lines of dialogue that don't really exactly <laughs> hey man you really like donuts oh, i have an overdue library book far out <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I hope you guys like the sound of a, I mean, and listen, what you heard was just a trailer, but Carl and I have now both watched the um, the Criterion mm-hmm. Blu-ray release of this, and that 55 Chevy sound, sounds unlike any car I've ever heard. No, nah, man. It's, no, man. <laughs> no, man. It's out of this world, man. Far out. <laughs> it's hard not to pick up the, the, patois, the, the of... patois of the time when you're... when. 
especially having watched it twice and right right and yeah but it is it's far out man that car is wild dude it's i put it up there with the enforcer the enforcer i got it wrong a bunch on our episode you said enforcer over and over again and i believe it's an interceptor car interceptor i did it again (laughs) fuck it he drives a pinto yeah Um, let's run through the credits really quick. Yeah. This is uh, this film is directed by Monty Hellman, um, produced by Michael S. Laughlin, screenplay by Rudolf Wurlitzer and Will Corey. The screenplay is really interesting. I do want to mention that up top. The original rough cut of Two Lane Blacktop was three and a half hours long. Wow. So they were contractually obligated to deliver a two-hour movie, so they ended up chopping like a huge bunch of wow. this script out. But um, it was originally much longer. The, one of the screenplay writers, Will Corey, he came up with the story. The original script for this, which I think is kind of interesting as well, when it was presented to Monty Hellman as like, hey, we want you to direct this thing, he read it and he said it was like the dumbest, most insipid version of the, he, I think he's quoted as saying, Disney's The Gumball Race. Oh my God. He's like, it was this stupid, goofy, slapstick, wackadoo, like tepid, lukewarm, milk toast bullshit, yeah. like race movie. It has a little bit of that though going on. Some of it's left in there, but but he said what attracted him to it was that the the core, like the heart of it, which was a cross country road race. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, I can do something with that. And yeah. then he goes from that, which is that sounds like like a like a watered down version of Herbie the Love Bug, and yeah. gives us this instead. Um, the film editing, which I will talk about as we go through the episode, is also done by Monty Hellman, the director. So Directed and cut by. Wow. Directed cool. and cut by, yeah. Cool. Um, so, the cast. It's a pretty short cast. It's a small... It, there's not many people in this. There's a shitload of cars yeah. and some stock footage, but the, the main cast, and this is, this is an interesting... It really some, is, There's some man. interesting choices in here. Kind of weird. James Taylor as the driver, Warren Oates as GTO... Lori Bird as the girl. We're going to get into Lori Bird a little bit. She has a really interesting and intensely tragic life story. Dennis Wilson um, as the mechanic. For those of you who didn't, for whom these names are not familiar, James Taylor, the driver. He's in- I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Exactly. You that know. guy. And in and you know, wherever I am, I'll come running. That guy, that guy. is the lead. In this movie, and Dennis Wilson is the drummer for the Beach Boys. Everybody likes to point out that Dennis Wilson is the Beach Boy who was associated with Charles Manson. Right, he's the guy who kind of like right. tried to get Charles Manson a, a career in music. He had kind of a sad life. Probs uh, troubled. Yeah, he was. He got into drugs and alcohol. But and man, like the his Beach 50s. Boys, though, bro. Uh, you know, I was thinking. I, I felt so bad thinking it, but like Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. He's one of the Beach Boys. Yeah, he drowned. That's how he died. Yeah, poetic justice. I mean, it's uh, it, it's probably more so like the combination of substance abuse problems probably. and a propensity for surfing that did it. But I don't know, man. Oh, no. Um. Uh. We've also got. So I'll just run through. Uh. Hot Rod Driver Rudolf Wurlitzer. Recognize that name? Guy who wrote the screenplay. Uh. The Driver's Girl Jacqueline Hellman. Um. Jacqueline Hellman. Hellman. Hmm. Who directed this? Monty Hellman. Monty Hellman. It will not surprise you to learn that Monty Hellman came up through Roger Corman's production company. Doesn't that, surprise me in the least. You can. There is a lot of Corman for sure on this. Um. And we'll get we'll get into more of the uh more of the the Corman connection as we go cool. because this movie has really strong ties to Easy Rider and. There's no way we're going to be able to talk about this without There's talking about Easy pictures, Rider for man. a bit. I mean, there's, it's impossible not to 
well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to completely reverse everything I said about I feel Easy like you, Rider. I feel like you need to do another watch before you do that. The Easy don't Rider give thing. Your, don't get yourself the Mac. I did. You did. Yeah, okay. I watched Easy Rider. Uh, uh, I, I didn't make it to the the end with the crash, but I made it to the Kyrie Eleison before I fell asleep, okay. like the bit where they made it to New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, having now with Tulane Blacktop is one of my available filters in my head. Easy Rider is a completely different movie. Wow, I, that's I crazy. Fully fucked up what i said about that movie originally actually no i didn't at that time that was what i had available to me intellectually well, that's, what, that's the the magic of movies though man they change yeah, yeah yeah um i think this one helped me get perspective on that one because i think this one is better made yeah. um, we also had we also it was an interesting uh tabletop on that one because we had um, chris fieldhouse chris here. fieldhouse was here so right so having having a third perspective maybe like counterbalanced some mm-hmm. of what I was thinking and or maybe I don't know. Yeah, he's like, from the UK too, so he's got I mean he's an American citizen. He's right. married to Sure, yeah. You know, American he has a job here. But he, but he does yeah. have like that um he does have like a UK perspective, which right. is why we wanted him on for like Exa- classic American For the classic American right. movie to have our, our British friend on. It was uh it was very interesting. Yeah. And then they actually do credit both cars. The car is nineteen fifty five Chevrolet and the GTO is a 1970 Pontiac GTO. And mm. since this is 71, that was top of the line, fresh, fresh off the off the line Pontiac GTO. And it's a beautiful car. It's wild. So the this watching this movie, I, it felt like a post-Vietnam War flick. We still have four years left to go in country Yeah. when this movie is released. Because right. May 7th, 1975 is when we roll the tanks out. Right when we when we finally pull, so this start is pulling the four years before that. This is in the Vietnam War yeah. years that this came out. Yeah, so, we got a whole high school freshman to graduation yet in Vietnam when this movie comes out. That's true. Like an entire entire adolescence. Hi, entire adolescence of youth left in Vietnam. Right, and one of the things I was struck by in this movie is the absence of Vietnam, because there's the, no mention of it. There's uh, <laughs> We don't even have character names. I mean, there's it's everything is so removed from the political whirlwind that's going around at the time of this movie's release. You get a little bit of that, like, "Hey, man, I dig it, man." Like you, you know where you are. You know what time period roughly you're in. Just the way people are dressed, the way they they speak to each other, right, right. The yeah. styles of cars, blah blah blah. But this could easily be like a mid to late 1950s picture too, with some of the drag racing and the. If it wasn't, wasn't for, for the, the GTO, cars. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. well, the 55 Chevy could put you anywhere. And I think that that's really important. Actually, I Me think too. that's one of the things that this movie is about. Is about, um, like this sort of, this sort of like. Uh, idyllic or nostalgic America, which may or may not exist. We'll explore that as mm-hmm. we talk, but um, colliding with or running into the back of or being consumed by America in 1970, 71, where mm-hmm. America's this new America that's emerging, what that's doing to this hot new car. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what it's, what it's doing to but a, the driver of the, the car being, era. Oh my God, there's so much of a, the drivers are, connected to their cars and what they represent especially gto man i mean and i think that there's some this is kind of sparse as far as dialogue goes very most of the hey for pinks man is that kind of you bore me or i'm gonna go get a coke like there's not a whole lot of hey what do you think about 
One of the things that I, th- I thought was so... <laughs> it's spicy. It's all very like, yeah, I'm going to go to the bar and grab a drink. There's no real monologues or exposition. Zero. There's none of it. They're like, hey, we're going to go... We don't even really know where they are. We know they drag race to get money in the beginning of the picture. And right. then they're heading out west somewhere and picking up races along the way. Well, they're heading back east. Oh, back east. That's yeah, right. Yeah, because they're, right. they're racing to Washington, D.C. So they're... Oh, once they meet GTO and get that going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the beginning of the picture, it's just like... They're just, just two guys racing, keeping this fucking somewhere. Somewhere, right? right. Yeah. Um, so, what is before we get into this uh, in depth? Mm-hmm. What do you think of this movie? What's what's your what was your like more encompassing reaction? Yeah. So I have two. It's it's almost the way that we um, choose and select and vote for our picture of the year. We always uh, so we, you have you have a flick that is. Like the best film made, like Godfather Two, but it the might Searchers. the Searchers, but it might not necessarily be your favorite movie, Raising Arizona, right? So, sure. this movie lands in sort of like both places for me, and it's a really strange sort of. I I, I appreciate the movie. I know what it is. I see all of the. I just I get very bored watching it, and it makes me sleepy. Um. But that's more on me than the movie. I think the movie's paced perfectly. I think I think it's saying a lot, and I dig the I dig the language, man. But at the end of the day, some of it is just I don't care for James Taylor as an actor. I think he's pretty horrible. But I don't think that that matters enough to like affect the picture. I think he's actually as the driver. It sort of works because that is kind of who the driver is. Um, but. I like the movie, but I have a hard time liking it just because I feel like it's a chore to watch. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand the, I understand that watch of it for sure. Yeah. And I'm also on medication that makes me really sleepy, like all the time. (laughs) Okay. So some of the sleepiness (laughs) might be the pacing of the film, but some of the sleepiness might also be just the sleepiness. It could just be that I'm always fucking exhausted right now because of my don't go crazy pills. (laughs) Right, well, I will um, next time we watch like a slow, slower paced flick. Yeah. Call I me. Feel like I'll hang we, out with the air horn. You know, I had this thought though because about the Corman thing. Because when and when watching this, I kept thinking of, um, oh my god, this is the flick that we watched together with the the girls that are driving. A, oh my god, what is it? it was it the two pack with? Oh, oh, are you talking about um uh uh caged heat? Caged heat. Yeah, it yeah. kind of reminded me a little bit of caged <laughs> heat and a little bit of the B side of that one that we watched with Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Jackson County Jail. Jackson County Jail. Yeah. A little bit of that going on, and I feel like <laughs> it was a great double feature. It was I'm a sorry. great double feature, but there's a lot of that Corman ask. There's a lot of similarities between those pictures in particular, and. Two lane blacktop. Definitely, definitely. You could watch those as a triple feature and not be lost at all. They would all flow very well together. But I kind of feel like a movie like this, when you're watching it either at 6 a.m. or after work and it's just you, um, it doesn't necessarily read as well. I think one of the reasons I loved Caged Heat and Jackson County Jail so much is watching it with in a room with other people that right. are appreciating the filmmaking and seeing what's happening. Mm-hmm. There's a different energy to that. Yes, and a I feel like as opposed to like a home. Yeah, I feel watch, like yeah. Tulane Blacktop. We spin this at the Bijou with fifty friends watching it, chewing popcorn. This is top five movie for me. Okay, watching it on my couch at six thirty a.m. with notebook in hand, 
I can't quite engage enough to enjoy it. Part of me wanted to just put the notebook down and, and watch it. Sure. You could have. I took I enough notes. But yeah, but it, so that's where it sort of lands for me. It's it's not that I, I understand what this movie is and what it means. And and I want to dig into it more. Sure. It's um, But I feel like it's one of those things where we should do this again. We sit down with a couple of friends. We spin this and we spin... Um, we spin. I would do this an easy rider. An easy rider, yeah. That'd be a great. I think that'd be a really good double feature. Or you could do this and, I mean, honestly, this and any like any of the Corman flicks. This and we and we watch uh, we watch the the Big Merman on a on a on a motorcycle going across. A Road to Paloma, yeah. yeah. This and Road to Paloma the would be Big Merman. The Big Merman. I was like, okay, that's an Aquaman. That's Jason Momoa biker movie. Road to Paloma. Yep. <laughs> I connected the dots. I was yep. there. But we could do that in like in order of release too, and I think that would be a very interesting story to tell. But Easy Rider came out before this yeah, one. Yeah, this because we were in the heat. This was like. Because the Tet Revolution was in 1968, Easy Rider comes out in 1969. We were in the bloodiest part of the war, I believe, at that particular sure. point. Here, this is a perfect time to read. I so in I two have years before yeah. this comes out. So I have some uh, in the with every Criterion release, you get this beautiful booklet that contains essays and such like. And I annotated an essay as I was reading it. It's called Slow Ride by Kent Jones. Cool. Um, and I think what you just said about like be 69 to 75 is like the the bloodiest nastiest part of vietnam and i think it's really interesting that the two lane the two movies that we keep talking about here two lane blacktop and easy rider in both of them vietnam is essentially absent like mm-hmm. the specter of vietnam looms large but neither of those movies really addresses it and there is one movie from that time period um uh uh, uh straw dogs that yeah. that one Vietnam is explicitly part of the plot. Yeah. You know, like it this is that's He's a, movie. a conscientious objector moved to outside the US to avoid like, persecution and bizarrely, but it's bizarrely part of the whole plot plot. Like too. that movie's almost a, that's like I would almost call Straw Dogs like a movie about the Vietnam War that's set in the UK, set in the UK yeah. that only mentions the Vietnam War once and not by name. But you know, right, like yeah. it is a Vietnam War movie though. It absolutely is. Um and there's that's another weird thing about movies from this time period is there's a Sam Peckinpah connection to this flick. Hard not to. I mean, in that era. Especially when all of the real greats are all kind of working together. Yeah. So uh, th- I'm excerpting from Slow Ride by Kent Jones, which if you can find a copy of this essay, it's phenomenal. But here's the Sam Peckinpah connection really quick. The man who was characterized by Sam Peckinpah on national television in 1973 as, quote, the best director working in America today, end quote, got his start in movies the same way many of his contemporaries did, working for Roger Corman. After establishing a solid track record as a stage director, Martin Landau, in an introduction to Charles Tatum's book on Hellman, remembers his old friend's production of Waiting for Godot in 1957 with Jack Albertson and Joey Fay as exemplary. Hellman was thrown headfirst into the deep end of the movie-making pool by Corman with Beast from Haunted Cave in 1959. So Hellman gets his start coming up through Corman in 59 and 13 years later, Sam Peckinpah, who directed The Wild Bunch starring partial uh, co-starring right. Warren Oates, who is appears in Tulane Blacktop, calls Hellman the greatest director working in America today. Fuck, man. So all these all these movies that we've been watching over the course of three and four years are starting to coalesce into a like a, a God, an overview of the zeitgeist i know we're like we're starting to watch enough movies now that we're getting like 
we're starting to fill in the gaps of certain like all film the little circuitry and, and things are getting like the synapses are joining together and all these little pathways in the best way it's, it's like fucking incredible it's we're like building slow the film matrix yeah, yeah kind of <laughs> Well, that's what this show kind of feels like sometimes in all the best ways possible. It's like our own little like. Right. It's film, film school study at and, our pace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, there's, sometimes we watch really shitty things like Halloween Resurrection. You without that, but we that. can learn a lot from that. Yeah. Um, all right. So here I wanted to, to talk about um, like the Vietnam War yeah. and and film as like cultural statement. This is the first paragraph of Slow Ride, this this essay. The two movies that opened the door to youth culture in Hollywood, The Graduate and Easy Rider, were milestones, to be sure. But can it really be said that they were milestones in the art of cinema? Quote, I think The Graduate is not really a very good film, end quote, said Marty Hel- or Monty Hellman when I interviewed him in 1984. But it's a great film because of just what it is. In other words, nothing much, of, nothing much as a film, strictly speaking, but quite something as a cultural event. The Saturday night at the movies that in 1967 gave the American middle class its first real glimpse of the paltry value placed upon its legacy by its own sons and daughters. I think that's a really important point to acknowledge, which mm-hmm. is up until this point, a lot of films had kind of dealt with, uh, like the, the zeitgeist had kind of dealt with this idea of American exceptionalism, you sure. know? Where it's like, we're in the golden age, and things are great, and here's a stockbroker, and here's some wacky love story. And then with The Graduate, and with Easy Rider, and then Corman goes nuts with Wild Angels and The Trip, we start seeing movies made by people who are kind of looking back at the, call it the greatest generation, the generation that made it through it's World War I and II. It's not Leave it to Beaver anymore, it's not. They, this is a, this, these movies are kind of a finger to that idea mm-hmm. that we're the greatest nation in the world and everything's cool and you know, a man all a man needs is to sit behind the wheel of his car and it's it's the Warren Oates monologues in this into a blacktop absolutely it's, there's nothing like being behind the wheel of your own automobile and it's just freedom as far as the eye can see these movies that start to was a commercial for America man he he's like a warning about yeah. America because he's he doesn't have his own story he well he doesn't we don't know what yeah. Oh my God. We'll talk about it. Let's but. talk really r- briefly. And I think this will become the thesis for our discussion of of James Taylor and Warren Oates' characters. James Taylor is called in the credits the driver. Mm-hmm. He is the driver of his automobile. Warren Oates' character is called the, name the of GTO. The car. Yeah. <laughs> he is simply his car, and yep. I'll, I have some visual evidence to back to enforce that idea and or reinforce that idea in a moment. But so, um. In 1967, gave the American middle class its first real glimpse of the paltry value placed upon its legacies by its own sons and daughters. Quote, there are certain very strong stories or ideas for films that touch the core of the psychology of the audience so profoundly that they absolutely cannot fail. End quote. Hellman went on to explain. The Graduate marked the beginning of countercultural consciousness in American movies. In the fading memory of that moment, now layered with so many ironic reversals, retrenchments, and disappointments, it is less the film that is recalled than the potent effect it produced, an effect largely unavailable to artists more nuanced and less fixated on the public eye than Mike Nichols, Mike Nichols being mm-hmm. the director of The Graduate. Um, shorn of its contemporary context, Nichols's film is a nicely executed comedy of romantic embarrassment tarted up not a very kind review That's here. That's not, no. Tar- tarted up with Fellini-esque close-ups, Antonioni-esque spatial configurations, and Bergman-esque silences. If nothing else, The Graduate is a terminally-esque experience. So that 
that's and again, I'm telling you, listener, you're gonna want to find "Slow Ride" by Kent Jones. It's a fucking outstanding essay on not only Tulane Blacktop, but it gives a great overview, sure. like a contextual overview of all the films that are coming out around this time period. And also, not a fan of The Graduate. You, yeah, you yeah. either. I, I have never seen The Graduate, but reading that made me think about Easy Rider, which mm-hmm. is like, I saw Easy Rider for the first time when I was say, seventeen or eighteen years old. And I had really strong memories of it, but I hadn't really seen it again until we watched it for the show. And then watching it for the show, and again, I'd like to point out that when we watched it for the show, we watched it as a screening with Chris Fieldhouse. And again, I love that episode. And even though I will walk back many of my opinions from that episode, it was really enlightening to sit and watch with Chris Fieldhouse because we chatted as the movie played. Yep. And a lot of what happened while we watched the movie was, was Chris chiming in like, at moments that I had always seen as like iconic or emblematic of freedom or whatever, and then Chris would chime in with like, "Isn't that disgusting? Mm-hmm. It, look, it's just horrible the way that." And I'm like, "What? Oh yeah, I guess that is another way to look at that." And it it was really eye opening right? yeah. to watch with him. Um, whereas watching it alone, you get kind of swept up into the grandeur. And I think that I think those are two two ends of one spectrum of one way you can watch Easy Rider. And I think Tulane Blacktop revealed to me. The under movie that's under Easy Rider, for Very example, cool. in and again, I I had to go back and look because I didn't want to be like the Mac is a great movie. right. Well, that was my that was my concern. That's why I mentioned it. It's like yeah, don't, yeah, don't yeah. The Mac yourself unless you're gonna like go I, back and watch. I know. Well, I, I knew I had to do yeah. the work because like the we both you and I both loved the Mac until we watched the Mac again and we were like, wait, yeah. this movie is really not good. It's aggressively bad though. Yes. <laughs> so, no. So what I what I love about Easy Rider is stuff that I missed because maybe even three years ago I just wasn't in the right headspace to see the stuff, mm-hmm. but. In the same way that Fight Club is a is a uh, a sort of like condemnation of toxic masculinity and this sort of like slouching, trendy, cynical nihilism, trendy consumerism, nihilism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's sort of a sort of a uh, you know a, a, a pastiche of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Dialed up to the 11 you know dialed up all the way to 11 it's like I mean Chuck Palahniuk describes Fight Club as he wanted to write a book women had he said like women had knitting clubs what kind of clubs would men have and he thought oh a fight club because he thought that was funny so he wrote this like scathing novel and everyone was like let's start fight clubs and he was like you guys missed the the fucking point. point. I feel that way about, but it's hard when you make a then you make a David Fincher directed pick with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. They do make it look pretty cool. They make it look pretty fucking cool. Trent Reznor on the fucking yes, score, right. like well, how no, do that's you the, the Dust Brothers? I'm sorry, that is the Dust. Yeah, Brothers. Dust Brothers did the score for Fight Club, but, but how do you not like? It is pixies, stylistic. I mean, the fuck, dude, come the, on, dude. In 2021, like that movie came out pre 9/11. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. No, I mean, that was yeah. It was it, I was in the military when I it think came it's out, like 98 so. or 99. Yep. Fight Club comes out, and yep. then that when you watch that last scene now, and it's all the bombs going off and skyscrapers falling, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, oh. he's a terrorist. Yeah, Tyler Durden is a terrorist, a mentally insane, completely bonkers fucking. And like everyone loves the who doesn't love Where Is My Mind by the Pixies, you know, you know, incredible. Woo! You know, and that like it's that like slouchy nineties guitar. Because he like kind of gets the girl in the end. He like has his they moment hold, of they triumph. hold each other's hand and they're like, and this is it. Like we're gonna all the banking institutions are collapsing. We've like, done it. This is the collapse of America. And you're like, and then it goes black. And you're like, man, the Pixies are so cool. But then you realize like maybe what we're seeing here is where is my mind? 
what have I done? Yeah. Like, that is what that song, that song at the end is not meant to be like, and when we blow up the world, man, the Pixies will be playing. It's like, he was so mentally ill that he was unable to stop a terrorist attack that was instigated by him. This is fucked up. And that's how what I think Easy Rider is because it's these two guys. And I won't linger on Easy Rider. I'll just give you the broad strokes because Tulane Blacktop is the same idea. It's the same jouissance that exists in Easy Rider. But in Easy Rider, it's two dudes. They hop on their bikes. And what they keep saying to us is, we're going to drive cross country, man. We're going to get out west, man. And we're just going to get on the road and be free, man. And we're going to see America and it's going to be freedom. And that's the that's their ostensible thesis for crossing the country. But and I think it's very important and other people have pointed this out that the drugs go into the gas tank mm-hmm. because the other thing that they're doing is they're going to drive to the West Coast and try and make their fortune. Pause engage with the capitalist mm-hmm. system rather than rebelling against it. They're trying to live with one foot in two worlds. The consumerist capitalist world of new possessions i could buy a better bike i could get a and it's the same thing that you see in two-lane blacktop where warren Oates has a brand new gto and meanwhile the driver and the mechanic are tooling around in a 55 chevy that they literally pop the hood on every single gas station to tune the headers or oh fuck we got to swap she's she's feeling a little sluggish now i think we're gonna have to She's she's getting too much air, you know, like yep. every time they stop, they're adjusting this car, they're swapping tires because they got the drag tires, yep. the tools and the tires are just sitting in the back. They, they've they lightened the car so that all the body, all the, the hood and the trunk are just pinned on, you know. Yeah, they removed them. It's pretty cool. Yeah, they, they, they've they really trimmed this thing down to make it lean. And that's what they're driving. It's not comfortable to sit in no. anywhere. <laughs> no, but but in a weird way, when you look at both cars side by side and it's like, which one did you want? Immediately, you're like, well, the 55. The 55, yeah. For sure you want the 55. Does Dennis Wilson come with it to fix it? Yeah. Well, then give me the 55. Even though the GTO might have some more horsepower. It's brand new. It smells. It's got that new car smell. Well, that and Dennis, yeah, it's got the well. And Dennis Wilson says at one point when they're when he when he uh, Warren Oates when the GTO first comes up and passes him and Lori Bird's in the back and she's like, why don't you show him who's boss? And he goes, oh well, we could probably take him in the quarter mile, but over the long haul, right. he would he'd annihilate us, He'd smoke us, yeah. And that's that is that becomes important, you know. That's a statement. It sure is. So in Easy Rider, what happens is you got these two guys who are like, we're going to go out on the open road and discover who we are and explore America on the free highways. But we're also, also going to sell a bunch of cocaine to get money so we can buy the things. Right. And yeah. that and I think it's really important that they've got weed. They drink alcohol just like just like in um, uh, I just was talking about Road to Paloma. Mm-hmm. You know, he he has a drink. He'll smoke a cheroot. There's. There's something about weed and the they're smoking the hippie drugs and they're hanging out with Jack Nicholson and he's getting a snoot full of whiskey and that's all fine. The thing that poisons the trip is the and this is weirdly prescient because it's 1969, but the thing that poisons the trip is the drug that will destroy that nostalgic America right. in the 70s and 80s. In the 80s, cocaine particularly, yeah. Cocaine changes. This is something that I think a lot of the we'll call them the, we'll call it the straight culture, you know. Um, the laced up types don't really realize what a shaping force for a country the drug subculture is. When you have something like the 60s where the drug culture is psychedelics and psychoactive substances that make people mellow and introspective and eliminate mm-hmm. the ego and broaden the mind, that's going to create one subset of, of subculture. Sure. 
when you swap that drug for something speedy and aggressive like cocaine that comes with severe health problems, aggression, it's crashes. a short-lived sort of experience too. Yeah, well, and and it's it's almost designed to engender, engender hunger. Hunger, yeah. Because it's like I've done cocaine. I need more cocaine. Cocaine is expensive. How do I get money? I work. Terrence McKenna had a really interesting. Uh, talk about this which you can find on i don't know why i'm pimping everyone's podcast today but go and check out the psychedelic salon you can get it online you can download the episodes to your phone the interface is a little bit backwards but it is it's 122 terrence mckenna lectures plus thousands of other like psychonauts and people like that it's a pretty cool podcast but i listened to a terrence mckenna talk one day where he talks about um uh, non-productive drugs in a productive society or something like that is the title and he talks about why modern america is so vitriolically against things like weed and lsd and mushrooms and these drugs that make you want to like sit and be quiet and introspect and connect with others right because that's not conducive to increasing Getting capital. Getting things done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How do you knock out your to-do list? How do you make more money so it's you not can... not good for the bottom line people... if people are sitting and being introspective Dude, and if people making are... a connection with each other's in nature. Like, what do you think that capitalist America wants more? And I swear this is all germane to this conversation. We'll get there. But, like, what, what do you think that the, the capitalist interests in the U.S. are more interested in? People sitting there going, like... <laughs> you know, possessions are just a trap, man. Because you're never going to buy... All of, you're never gonna be able to buy enough. I'm though. I don't want that. Yeah. I'm a CEO of of X company. I'm making. I, I want to sell all the things that I that I'm I have. making cell phones. Yeah. I need you to buy a cell phone. Yeah, but dude, cell phones. The screens that we're looking down into are blinding us to the humans around us. Don't Someone that. shoot that hippie. Yeah, you know, exactly. like who? What do you want more? That or someone who's drinking their pot of coffee in the morning? Like, oh, I gotta make some money so I can get some coke so I can party tonight. Yeah. And the oh, and you know, and this is something that goes along with the, that kind of cocaine business culture, which is, you know, I've got my I've got my nice pewter cocaine spoon, and look at my new watch and that suit and tie. We'll talk about American Psycho at the I end. I was going to say that's at the end of the <laughs> yep. season, but we're going to get into a movie that shows exactly what happens when your protagonist is a cokehead and not a stoner. But you also kind of want to be him too. That's the weird thing about American Psycho. That's the genius of American Psycho. Is it? It lulls you into the jaws of the trap. Oh, Bateman. Yeah. yeah. So so you can almost see the appeal. Mm-hmm. And then it shows you the horror and ki- and pushes you back again. And you might still be okay with it. It's weird. It's weird. American <laughs> Psycho is what... Even the book, which I don't recommend to people just because it messed me up oh, so bad. Oh, it gets way under your... I mean, we'll talk about it, but that... Yeah, yeah. The movie gets under your skin, but the book gets like in you. Yeah, it's it's upsetting. The book yeah, it's is really, really upsetting. upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so so that that dichotomy that that exists in Tulane Blacktop, which is literally cocaine is in the heart of the oh, of in, their machine. Easy rider, yeah. Oh, in Easy Rider, yeah. The cocaine is literally in the heart of the bike. And with the heart of the journey poisoned, it cannot possibly end but in failure. And I think that that line at the end where we get Peter Fonda saying we blew it. Yep. That means something different when you have Tulane Blacktop in your head than when you're just watching this movie. And if, and I think that there's a real, there's a tendency to watch Easy Rider as just like these two guys out on the road trying to make their own. But really, it's about how now this is my read on it now, how the the future just around the bend and that the the lure of that brass ring destroys any chance that these two men have have they're doomed from the start yeah because you you can't 
it's like we're going to cut all ties with the world and just go be free. And if you can do that, like they do in Road to Paloma, then you end up with Road to Paloma, which right. is this sort of like Zen monk biker flick. But if you can't rid yourself of that last little bit of okay, but just but one I, but more I still score, need that little yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make it big. I can do it, but I need to do this thing. Yeah, like though their their freedom of the road ultimately becomes, and at the end of it, we're gonna be rich, right? And that is when we'll be happy. Yep. So their their vision is polluted from go, and it's just it just becomes almost a Grecian tragedy mm-hmm. as they go further and further from freedom as they drive closer and closer to their goal, which is really kind of beautiful. Yep. So that's my new read. I dig it on Easy Rider, based on having watched Two Lane Blacktop. I'm gonna keep saying I dig it, man. Bro, I I feel it's your, hard. It's hard not vibes, to. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got really good energy today, Carl. It's thank you, bro. Yeah. I'm just now. I'll probably start doing my Nick impression because <laughs> he's to me he epitomizes the surfer. Um, so let's go to the top. Let's go to the top of two lane blacktop. We start with a no dialogue illegal quarter mile night race. Mm-hmm. What'd you think, Carl? This uh, is pretty fucking cool way to start a it's movie, man. Fucking fantastic. Yeah. Night nighttime illegal road race. And it's, it's I kind of mentioned it before, it could place you anywhere. Like anytime, any city, any state. Like we don't it's a but you know, it's just two cars going at it. Right. Quarter mile. Fucking beautiful. It is. I love that you say anywhere, because it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. But no matter where anywhere is, it's America. Yep. Yeah. Here, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta review Tom Waits. Oh, oh! Tell uh, me about that, gentlemen. Tom, here's what Tom Waits thinks of this movie. It's very short. It's just like two sentences. Oh, fine. I love Tom Waits. <laughs> a race for pink slips between a '55 Chevy and a GTO across a long gone America when the road was much more than a shopping aisle. Three road hogs and an underage girl riding in back with the tools. The nights are warm. The roads are straight. This one's built from scratch, and as Warren Oates says, those satisfactions are permanent. Wow, dude. That is kind of that's kind of how I feel about this opening this opening shot. Because no matter where you are, you recognize this is that American graffiti thing. You yes. got two rumbling muscle cars and a bunch of younger people in leather drinking beers standing around waiting for the roar. Mm-hmm. This is America. This is America that doesn't exist, but this is an America that that lives on in echoes through the work of Jim Jarmish mm-hmm. and Tom Waits and Lana Del Rey and Richard Linklater. This is a this is a long gone dream that may have never existed. That was my thoughts. Like did it ever actually exist except in the minds of like the artists or the ones that are telling the stories yeah. of that time. Did it ever actually and exist that, in this and way? And that's the thing about the past is like when you look back on it, you always, you always, you, those you, rose colored glasses. In I mean, a way, the, in this through, era, you see it through sunglasses, you yeah, know, man, yeah. it's like, you look back and you're like, you're like, you're like everyone had a jean jacket and mm-hmm. everyone was rolling around in a 68 Well, the Camaro lens of nostalgia and, is a very powerful lens. Yes. And I would say that the, front windshield of the gto is the lens of nostalgia absolutely because that's what warren oates is trying to drive towards this entire movie he's trying to drive back in time to catch what james taylor and dennis wilson have meanwhile james taylor and dennis wilson are trying to hold on desperately Mm -hmm. to what they're losing 
it's incredible. It's two people driving towards the same point in opposite directions. Yeah. It's fucking <laughs> incredible. Um, so this first road race, the, the cars, dude. Because it's not just one race that we see. We oh, no, see, yeah, a bunch of races. Yeah, it's it's like the the underground circuit. And I love how how frequently we'll get like a fairly large organized drag event. It happens a couple of times. Busted up yeah. by the cops where you're like, okay, well, there's 20 participants. This must be sanctioned. And then the <laughs> cops show up and you're like, you guys thought that no one was going to notice 20 muscle cars all lined up? But... Hey man, you like, uh, um, so I, the, the, these, these rumbling cars, the lights, they set up like headlights to illuminate stuff. Mm -hmm. The, I love that it's organized enough that the dude who like gets them off the starting line has literal lights that are like yellow, green, (laughs) and they go. It's not just like, you know, a chick in a bikini waving a flag. And I think it's important that, that our, our flag waver for the the guy who kicks off the race is a dude. And that he's using technology rather than just like a, a handkerchief Flags. or a or whatever. Right. Even here in this first race, we're seeing elements that we're familiar with: hot girl wave handkerchief. Mm-hmm. That's that's the American graffiti. That's, that's yeah, the that's Harrison Lucas version of, of yeah. That, that that's uh, that's James Dean, man. Yeah. You know, like you'd expect to see that from like the RKO pictures. Exactly. You know, but but what we're getting here is Daisy Dukes in a handkerchief is what we yeah. And now what we're and I think it's real I think it's very intentional because we see this, but the drag racing scenes are pretty much all completely absent of women. Mm-hmm. And we took the we, so we removed the the hot woman and now this is like this is a guy sending two other guys down this drag strip and there's like no female element. And that's going to be important throughout the whole film mm-hmm. and it's not a tactile thing anymore. Now it's mechanical. Right. Now it's the lights. And that struck me too. Um, I loved the bustling exchange of money as people, they've got their pit crews essentially where they're like, and no one directly exchanges cash. They're like, they give it to the, this one guy. They both give him their money. So that way, if someone loses, they can just drive off with their tail between their legs and the other people and get paid. Worry about it, yeah. um, the rumble, the roar. This, I'm so glad that I thought of this at the beginning of this movie because it shaped the rest of my watch, especially in a movie that's this sparse with dialogue. This is how these humans communicate with Mm -hmm. each other, and the pedal to the floor is how they express themselves. These are, this is, this is how they talk. So now I, if you, the movie gives you like a key to the lexicon of the film up top, which I love, um, filling so much of this just to me we talked about how this this america might not have existed right right but how it's the it is the the american landscape inside the heads of some of my favorite let's say air quotes cool directors sure tarantino i should have mentioned immediately tarantino's all over this as as one of his well he he's he calls it out by name in um death proof yeah yeah like seeing seeing what those directors see as America, America what the cool was, the, yeah, yeah, like it. That's a perfect way to describe it. The cool, like as a as a specific noun mm-hmm. for or a, a specific uh, adjective to describe America's. Like this is the American cool of the fifties, and whether it existed or not, I think a he. I can't deny that a huge part of why I like this movie is this is the 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 exact vibe and feel of old Americana that speaks directly to me. Like watching this movie, man, I'm like, these people get the 
the the topography of my soul. That's awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> but and part of it is like they roll into the gas station after the night of drag racing, filling up the car with high test. Mm-hmm. Um, the pull away trunk, the huge pinned hood that they like roll up, <laughs> and one of my one of my favorite things about so they they do this drag race and then the next thing they see is they pull up to the gas station and I think it you probably noticed too because you were talking about how it's kind of a sleepy film. There's not a the racing is few and far between most yeah. of what this movie. We don't is. actually really see the races at all. We see them like preparing the thing and then off and then we cut to. We see the him off the bit. line. Yeah. We'll, sometimes we'll get a shot through the windshield when yep. they're going fast, which is always cool. But um, I I love this movie. To me, is is shot as though it's an American film. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the subject matter is all like pretty American drag racers. It feels like it's gonna be a drag racing street kid movie. But then the execution to me, and I don't know if this is getting too highbrow for like Tulane Blacktop, but is very European. It feel like. Long silences, mm-hmm. very moody, extremely dark shots, especially some of the interiors of the car There's in the French nighttime. Yeah, the, the, there's some like expressionist moves mm-hmm. here, and there is um, like use of silence. And I think one of the really interesting things is the choice, even though so they had a three and a half hour cut and they cut it down to about two hours, so they lost an hour and a half. But what they left in was mostly interstitial stuff of yeah. like two dudes eating in a diner while a woman walks by outside and no one says anything. Or like a long drive where Lori Bird in the back seat says like a couple of words and no one responds. And all she says, it's not very comfortable back here. Yeah, and Dennis Wilson looks back at her and smiles and James Taylor keeps staring out the front window and you're like, so that was a scene. Huh? Mm-hmm. Very cool. But, but it's that... But it's that thing. It's that European kind of like, it's like minimalist new wave. It feels new, like yeah, French yeah, yeah, new yeah. wave. You know, we're like, we're getting like some like cool rapid cuts. We're getting interesting match cuts. Where this is like a road movie that was made by people who were appreciating like avant garde <laughs> cinema. It's super fucking cool. Um, and here's one of them: is when they're they pop the hood, they pull the trunk off, and they're like, "Where's the, where's the gas? Where's the gas cap?" <laughs> it's in the like. Because they like they this car is so built up from nothing that they relocated the gas tank to like get the center of gravity right and minimize. We don't need a huge gas tank on this. We just need enough to make it that quarter mile, you exactly. know. So, so it's totally customized. And as they're pulling this car apart and starting to work on stuff, James Taylor gets out and stretches his back. Dennis Wilson immediately grabs a rag and a, a wrench, and and then the mechanics start showing up. And people slowly, the crowd gathers. gather around the f- dude. It's like, hey man, what you got in there? A four forty? Fucking yeah. shit, dude! I've got chills, man. Like seeing the slow way that, and you, you and I, come on. How many times have you like been in a in a Google the car that pulled? Yeah, up? dude, fuck. Yeah. You're like just getting ready to pull away from Meyer, and then like a Shelby Mustang pulls you're in, like, and you're like, Ooh, oh, I'm, get, the trunk. I'm gonna pop get back it, out of the pop car. It, pop it, yeah, exactly. Pop it, pop it. Hey, uh. Don't you need to check your uh, oil or something? That's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Don't you? It, I think you got a leak. Why don't you pop that? Pop that trunk. Let's take a pee. Oh, let's let's get in the. Let's get it under. I'll crawl under it. Right you just there. started. I just want to breathe its exhaust leak. Exactly. You know. <laughs> but dude, this the slow fucking way that these mechanics and I wrote down folks who understand this language. Yep. Kind of gravitate over to the car and. What's that got in it? Uh. Three three ninety one. I'm just making up numbers. Right. I'm not a car guy, but three ninety one, four fifty four. No shit. And then one of the mechanics looks like a lot of work. Dennis Wilson just looks at him. Fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Incredible, man. Um, they they slowly are drawn to this car. The questions start, and uh, 
and then they get back on the road and it's like this this movie is built in the way that Easy Rider focused a lot on looking for adventure, yep. whatever comes our way. It's like a 60s soundtrack yep. as people are rolling down highways. This movie's all about like the shit that happens in between the let's play a Jimi Hendrix song and right. drive. It's like this movie's kind of kind of it's almost like watching the 50s and early 60s get tired. It's kind of, man, that's an interesting point because we're Easy Rider is all about the the drive and the journey and the soundtrack. This is all the the pit stops and the gas ups and the diners. It's a collage of interstitial moments yeah. that seem like they shouldn't matter, but because all we get are the quiet moments in between stuff, I feel like we get to know these the, our cast of characters, especially mm-hmm. the primary three, the driver, the mechanic, and the girl. Even when they start to race, it's not really that much of a race no because it's a quarter mile it's over in 10 seconds you know 11 seconds and as soon as it's done we're back on the road and they're worried about gas they don't have any money yep and they're like well we got enough for coffee and oh i'm let me grab a coke and that's what i that's what i dig you know what were the what were your favorite parts of easy rider it's is it when dennis hopper peter fonda and jack nicholson are sitting around a fire fire. talking to each other talking about aliens and shit that's tulane blacktop is the best part of easy rider for two hours and you're like, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess it, it felt to me like watching. It felt like a cool throwback to some of the movies we were watching in like seasons one and two. You know, where I'm like, this felt a lot like season two to me because we watched a lot of, or we watched a bunch of Corman stuff in season one. Season two was the one where we did was all the cor- shit that we uh, owned right, because it was right. so expensive we to so buy all the broke. movies. <laughs> no, yes, this felt like a like a throwback to season two for sure. Planet of the Apes, all the Corman stuff, the yeah, right, right. Um, all sixties and seventies. That's shit true. That yeah, we had on like four for a buck DVDs, four eighty p box set yep, movies where yep. we're like, is that is that Jack Nicholson? Oh no, that's uh, where the no, that, for some reason the DVD has tracking issues. That's Grace like, Kelly, that's, yeah, yeah, where it's like auto tracking a DVD, and you're like, so they just they just they didn't just totally ripped a didn't VHS? fix that. That's eh? okay. All right, sure, sure, I'll watch that. Oh, they zoomed into was that full a commercial frame. for Cocoa Puffs that briefly <laughs> they, they they ripped this off a of television. It's an NBC nightly movie. Okay. This this was okay. taped. This was are they bleeping out the swears? You know, you're like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so. Really early on, we so we get one road race. They make some money. They go to the gas station. They get back on the road. Lori Bird's not even with them yet. Still, just Dennis Wilson and uh, um, James Taylor. And the GTO shows up. And this is the first time we see the GTO. And he roars up behind him and he's honking the horn. And they don't react at all. I think James Taylor like looks in the rear view and doesn't change his speed. Doesn't do Nothing. anything. They don't even acknowledge him really. No. Just you guys been following me forever. It's like he's behind them the entire time. He's like, you guys follow me cross country. Well, he says it. He tells the he tells his next hitchhiker right because the thing that the GTO does the entire movie is picks up. This is fucking fascinating. I love this decision. He picks up hitchhiker after hitchhiker after hitchhiker, and every hitchhiker that he picks up, he tells a different, different story. story. That is my favorite. My favorite part. I like. I like the driver and the mechanic and the girl. Their story is very interesting to me. But for me, it's GTO makes this movie. He is the most interesting part for me, and a lot of it, most of it, has to do with that very thing. He's an enigma. He's he is very an enigma. interesting. We, by the end of the movie, we don't know who this person is. But we do 
because he is that person that will tell everyone different. I used to be a test pilot. Now, I think it's what I think the most interesting thing about him is, is by the end of the movie, we realize that he isn't anybody. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, he and what I love is all of his because he tells everybody a different story. But every single story is about how he got his car Mm -hmm. and what his car can do. So he's like. Here's my backstory, and I won this car in a poker game. I was a test pilot, but you know, the thrills in the sky can only get you so far, so I bought this baby brand new off the line. And it's like, no matter what he's trying to tell, whatever he's trying to tell himself about his life or convince himself about his life or whatever confidence or or grandeur he's trying to assert, it's all intrinsically tied to this car because this car... his name is GTO. He has his chosen identity. Yeah. And... I love when he when he rips by him because there's this cool moment where the GTO like is just blows past the 55 Chevy because they're not racing him and he like pulls up alongside him a second and like looks over at him and he's like like gives him a wink and drives on but the moment where fucking James Taylor and Dennis Wilson turn in unison to look at him with like these two impassive faces that's when I fell in love with Tulane Blacktop when they look over and don't say anything but they're just looking at him driving in this 55 Chevy and then they look forward like Dismissing a vehicle that is superior to theirs because it's not honest, genuine. Right. Um this is this is something that I think is really important to this movie is they built that fucking Chevy from scratch. They took like a some rusted junk body probably, and they built it into this thing, which one of the one of the great scenes in this movie is James Taylor making Warren on someone shit his pants. (laughs) Like they built this thing, and the the only word I can keep thinking of, and this is gonna just be an episode of me That's getting fine. like chills, chills so bad Before that I can we barely record. I'm like, I know this episode is mostly gonna be me <laughs> listening to a dissertation, and and that's no, 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 in like the best way possible. It's the word I kept coming up with was was capital R real. Mm-hmm. The '55 Chevy, and the driver and the mechanic, that's real. Even though it's rusting, even though it always needs tuning up and it's breaking down and it's falling apart. It's part of what makes it alive, though. It's authentic. And authentic, yeah. Authentic's a good word, too. It, alive is a great word for it. That, that dynamic. There are One, th- there's a need. There's a need that's fulfilled. There's this whole, like, nurturing thing that has to yes. occur. You're giving of yourself Yes, it. yes, dude, yes. James Taylor... And okay, in, we'll talk more about his performance, but I agree with you. James Taylor is not a good actor in this movie at all. He flubs multiple lines and they leave it in. But my argument, and I talked with Bert about this the other day, my argument is that James Taylor, as bad actor, as flubbing his lines, as delivering things flat and stiff and cardboard, that I think is to this film's benefit. Yeah. And it's it's weird. I'm with you because you see it, and as an actor, immediately I'm like, you must have cringe, been like, cringe, "Wow, cringe. you're fucking oh, up." Oh god, he's yeah. not very good. But then when you take it in the context of like, he's not Jack Thompson driver. He's the driver. He's this car. He, what he is is the thing that drives this car, and he's given his life to that so much. He talks to the mechanic, but barely, and they have their own slant. They have their own shorthand. Their shorthand are, are glances and just going about the business that you know signals to the other one it's time to do this other bit of business. You like get, you get the sense as they soon don't as talk I, much. No, because as soon as driver pops the trunk, that he knows. Oh, it's time to go ahead and do this. And so they have this whole 
pattern of their life worked out where they don't have to speak about it. It's just this understood, right. alive sort of thing. Right, right. Like how you don't have to communicate to the cells in your body to reproduce or to like go after a cold virus. It just happens. And that's kind of like these two inside this car. Like, yeah, they've they've created this car to them is what the Easy Rider people were pretending their yeah. bikes were to them, which is like freedom. And I love how you said that. Like James Taylor has given essentially his humanity mm-hmm. over to this vehicle because that's the depth of his love. Yeah. He's like if Arnie Cunningham wasn't like a caricature of the, of like the Joker, you know, he's like, this is a guy yeah, who's exactly. just, he's dehumanized himself in a way to fully give himself over to this symbol of American freedom. And he chooses that relationship over a human relationship at over, the end yeah. of the movie. So both yeah. of them do. Yeah, absolutely. And even though the, I feel like the mechanics kind of got one foot, in both worlds, in both worlds, in I think so too. But I think that that's important. That he's the mechanic; he's one that fixes the thing. Right. The amount of, and think of the time that he, like the time and effort that both of these dudes, but especially Dennis Wilson, yeah. gives over to this vehicle. Like you're constantly feeding it, and you are you are almost always starving. There's a great line where they talk about how much they money feed they feed the car, and they don't feed themselves. I mean, it's yeah. How, how much bread we got? We got 300 racing bread and 20 to spend. That tells you everything you need to know yep. about these two dudes. We have three hundred dollars. We they could be sleeping in nice hotels every night. They could be eating three hundred dollars in nineteen seventy one money. You've got some bucks. Yeah, you got you know? some dollar bills. Yeah, there. like you you're comfortable. You got about three grand. Twenty to spend. <laughs> yeah, you're sleeping in dives. You're eating in diners. You're wrapping up your crump, your crusts of toast to kind of abate the hunger later. And that's a bunch of lambas bread. <laughs> Exactly. These dudes are, they're really roughing it a lot because their their personal comfort, the comfort of, now I'm talking 2021, but like heated leather seats and electric mm-hmm. windows and cruise well, control. Again, it's important that they don't have any creature comforts in the car. It's all built for speed and efficiency. Right, right, right. And the G, the contrast between you, you, dude, we could, we won't, but we could do like two hours on just the Chevy contrasting oh, with the easily. GTO. But seeing Warren Oates and like, yeah, comfort, and all I got to do is put my foot down, smooth ride, hundred and forty miles an hour, zero to sixty and eight point whatever. Yeah, bought it fresh off the line, just ninety miles on it, you know, and you're like. And somehow, even though a GTO, look, seventy GTO, that it's a is a sexy fucking car, car man. Beautiful. We're not gonna. I'm gonna go on record as like. I would take that car yeah, in a fucking heartbeat. We'll never man. poo-poo never say a no. 1970, you know, well, GTO. GTO, baby. Come on. But I, I do think I was wondering about this because there's no way in 1971 that they could have known what car culture was going to start doing. But a I lot think of they had an idea. I mean, because you already had race culture. But sure. Well, for a lot of people, 70 is the cutoff. Oh, right. Like, because the, oh, they they talk about a Barracuda. Yeah. You, when they they roll up on a Barracuda with a Hemi in it, and I'm like, that's my dream car. It's a 1968 Hemi. Barracuda it's the one that the brothers drive in the phantasm movies but like and and of course there's so many there's so many people who would like and myself included who'd be happy with a 71 or 74 or whatever but there is a general consensus that as we move through the 70s and into the 80s the Mustangs get shitty the cars get shittier but almost everything before 1970 is just fucking amazing you know like early 50s Corvettes and the old Chevys you know like 
the, the Ford Mustangs and Camaros. Everyone's looking Isn't for a Death 67, Proof was 68, like a 68 Challenger, right? Or a 67 Challenger? The, it's the... It's a Mustang, isn't it? Mm-mm. Or uh, it's they talk. I think about, it's a Dodge Challenger. It's a white Dodge Challenger. It's the Vanishing it's a, the Point Vanishing car. Point car. Yeah. I can't remember what. It, I think it is a Challenger. Now that you mention it, but it is. It's like seventy is the cutoff, and this is a seventy GTO. A seventy, yeah. So in retrospect, this is like the first of the mass-produced muscle cars that car guys will ultimately come to disdain. Right. Now, not this particular year, but we're heading into. But how funny is that? Those though, years. That, that yeah. is the the first model off the line. It's right of that this new is, era of shitty muscle cars. It's the you know what I want. I almost want to call it is like the consumerist, the consumerist muscle one. cars. Yeah, where it's like a muscle car in every driveway, and that cheapens. It's weekend warriors. It's if we watch Road to Paloma, yep. and Jason and Jason Momoa is roaring along, and his buddy who he meets and has it hardly. But if that dude had a Honda Goldwing. Right, and he was like, "Hey, I'm a biker too." And you look at Jason Momoa, and you look at the dude in like his brand new touring jacket new with his elbow Dick's pads and his goods and- helmet, and he's on his gold wing, and it's he's got a Bluetooth headset, and he's like, "We're the same thing." It doesn't take a genius to look at those two guys and turn go, right on 65. Exactly, you got, <laughs> you got fucking Siri telling you how to get where you're going, and meanwhile, Jason Momoa's like. I'm heading west. I had That's to dig, about as good. I had yeah. to dig fence posts all day to get a carburetor to fix the kickstart on my fucking 49 panhead or whatever. When you look at that and the Goldwing, you're like, you guys are both driving two-wheeled in vehicles, but you are not at all the same thing. Jason Momoa is the last vestiges. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that I struggle with, Yeah. right? Like, as a human who wants to have that experience or to take a bike on the road, Sure. it's not Goldwing's like he can't be Jason Momoa. That's not where he is. Right. But he still wants to have that experience. So if, the, if his way of going about it, they're not the same person. Sure. But I can't poo-poo Goldwing for wanting to buy the thing and, and try to emulate that experience because it's something romantic and something that they think that they want to enjoy. Right. And if they're going to get on the open road and go wherever series in their ear telling sure. them where the next Motel <laughs> sure. 6 is, but they are like bugs in their teeth smiling and peeing in their pants because this is the most incredible experience they've ever had in their life. Right. There's a lot to be said about that, okay, too. Okay, well, you're talking about the real world and actual human beings, Carl. Fair. I'm talking about the the broad, I nostalgic understand. soul. But it's hard of- for me not to pull it back into that into to kind of ground it in the real world for a hot moment where GTO might be that Honda Goldwing guy who's trying to have that experience. It doesn't know or understand any other way to try to accomplish that because you only have at your disposal what you know. Right. And if what you know is, well, I got a guy who works at a Honda fucking bike shop and I've got the money to get it. You know, it's like, well, but that- I would love to be fucking Momoa on the, on sure. the, and doing my own work and getting bloody knuckles and shit and like getting into street fights and stuff. But that's very, a very romanticized thing as well. Does that world actually really exist either? It's I think very, it does, but I think it comes with a cost that is prohibitive to almost everyone, almost born everyone after except, 70. And to, to someone that isn't actually born in that environment and living that life, honestly, you don't like wish for that world. And I, well, but I think that that, I think that that's what we're, what this movie and we are talking about, which yes. is this, which is this, which is the Honda Goldwing guy and GTO. They represent the comfort of the modern world, which mm-hmm. is you want you want to be James Dean, but you still want to keep your job where right. you make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and you need to keep your wife and your to kids. Be James Dean, you have to 
yeah. not have a wife and kids. Or the and, idea of James Dean. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, so, like, well, you, you obviously can't. You can, though, which is the, the, the thing. You can play at it. Yeah, so it's like you're going to borrow the feeling of being a, a biker for, you know, like, oh, it's a Saturday. I'm going to go out In for some a... some weird sort of way, it's like the plot of Hostel. Yeah. Like yeah. you want to be a serial killer, but you want to have the in a controlled, in a controlled environment, and that's what makes Hostel especially horrible is the fact that they want to have this encapsulated experience. They there's something, and I would I'm going to argue that there's something in the human spirit, my mind at least, yeah. that revolts against the idea of having a peak experience or having a and I fucking Westworld too, like for like. Yeah, it's like go be a cowboy for two weeks. For two yeah. weeks with no danger to yourself, mm-hmm. and you catch some the, the weekend warrior thing. And look, and again, and in, in the real world terms, I'm not going to take away anybody's like fun weekend. Why would right, I? Right, exactly. You want to go paintball and go paintball, whatever. What I'm talking about is like the Tom Waits, Jim Jarmish romanticism, and I fully confess that it's romantic. But there is something that appeals greatly to me about people who are willing to throw away all semblance of comfort for the raw experience, the mm-hmm. the all encompassing and immersive raw experience of something. You know, it's, I'm not going to say her name, but I do have a friend from. She was in Baltimore, and um, she had something very tragic happen to her where she had to get like. Uh, organ transplant and things like that and so sure. she totally changed her life and she and she did decide to like give up everything and go like essentially live in the woods yeah in oregon or some fucking place and she's been doing that for the last three years and she's still on facebook every once in a while she posts pictures like bears and trees and shit and like this environment that she lives in now that is so far removed because and she actually did it she did the thing where she's like I had a scrape with death. I saw, I've met death. Sure. I stared him in the face and I said, not yet. I'm going to go make some fucking changes. And I thought, and that made me think about that for some reason. It's it's like, does it take that to actually make that a thing that you're willing to do? It's, you know, everyone maybe has their own, yeah, their own kick in the ass that's going to actually, you know what would be great? I'm just going to get a cabin in the woods and I'm going to live off the land, never have a cell phone. That's easy to say. It's the difference between that, actually saying, you know, like, I've realized something profound and important about myself. So I'm going to sell almost everything I own and put the remainder in a van and I'm going to travel the country and I'm going to live on the road for the rest of my life or I'm going to put up a cabin in the woods and live there. It's the difference between that and I'm not saying serial killer, but when I say Patrick Bateman, I mean like wealthy Wall Street guy who's got a fortune, you know, it's the difference between like, no, I've learned something important about me. So I'm going to go move into the woods and that's my life now. It's that versus we have we got this cabin up in uh, Tahoe, and we we go up there once a week just yeah. to to be in nature. It's like, yes, I understand you are in the woods and you're in a cabin, but I think that there's a difference in authenticity between that and the person who had to make a sacrifice to be their truest self. There, there, it's it's people who have the bravery to deal with massive amounts of discomfort to live an honest expression of themselves and. That is so beautifully and eloquently shown in this movie with, I think it's really cool, sad, but cool in a way that GTO, he's, 
because this is the weekend warrior remember yeah he is he's out <laughs> in his fresh car off the line and he's picking up hitchhikers and he's telling them all these great things about himself but when he's in the driver's car when he's not in his car when they're drive when Dennis yeah, they drive each other's cars which was like that's what i fucking love. they're in a race and they're always just like hanging out pulling over sharing sandwiches driving right. each other's car like you're in a cross-country race right for your cars and you're in no real hurry until the very end. But Warren Oates kind of isn't because Warren Oates in a weird way, even though he knows pink slips are on the line, for him, nothing is real. Right. Nothing is real. This is all a game. This is all him playing. And that's why that's why I, I like the contrast between him and James Taylor, which is if James Taylor loses this race, he, he, will, anything. he will lose everything that makes him who he is. GTO guy bought this car brand new off the lot. He's got a life to go back to. Yep. Even if he loses his car, he hops on a plane and goes home. Or maybe he doesn't. But we don't know because he's nobody. He's just another... This will sound cruel, but he's just another faceless, wealthy person trying to borrow the feel of an America he's never known. Yeah. Whereas if the other side loses, they will lose everything that is of any value to them in life and they will be left bereft. And it's this difference in stakes mm-hmm. that separates these people. And one of the things I really think is interesting about when Warren Oates is in James Taylor, was sitting next to James Taylor driving in the 55 Chevy, and he starts to tell a story about his life. That's the only time that his story starts with things were kind of falling apart at home, and my, my wife went, and I kind of was hoping to. And you get the sense that, okay, so maybe this car's a midlife crisis, and this feels honest for some reason. Mm-hmm. And why does it feel honest? It's because he's in an authentic space. He's in space. an authentic space. Yes, 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 yes. So that was such a true moment for me. I'm like, oh my God, this is when he is going to actually, we get a little bit of who GTO actually is, and he's only able to have that conversation when he is away from the fake thing. Yeah, in a space that is real. That's incredible. Dennis Wilson's in his mask. Yeah. And he's in this... There's something, too, about the different sound of the cars. The GTO's got that, like, I sound like a strong... Everything's tuned up and perfectly timed. Exactly. But when when the Chevy, when they put that fucking hammer down... It's man. It's loud and, like, but there's all... You can hear the whine of the turbo, that, like, air air intake, where it's almost, like... There's like a whine. Yep, there's above a high it. whistle. Yeah. I'm gonna say the 55 doesn't always sound healthy. No. You know, it almost they call it out too a lot. Like, yeah, nah, she sounds a little shitty right now. We're gonna have to do Pull something. over. This is something's fucked, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, but um, but being in contact with that, like with the rawness of yeah. the vehicle he's in, shakes shakes GTO out of his reverie and into the real world. And you realize that that's what we're talking about. That's what's at stake. This is a race in a way, dude. Because where are they racing? They're racing to Washington, D.C., DC. the nation's capital, the heart Which is of America. super important. And, and not, I didn't eye roll at it, but the fact that they're racing to D.C. is 1971. We're still in Vietnam. I mean, it's a very clear, like. Did you think it was a Vietnam thing? Oh, fuck yeah. I don't. Here's what I think it is. I like the dude. I'm loving like the different perspectives. It's just I'm adoring it. Um, here's what I think it is. I think what we are seeing here is a race between two American eras. Sure. The '50s, the the Easy Rider, the the uh, the '55 Chevy, the American Graffiti, the James Dean, that America, mm-hmm. the one that Tom Waits sings about and pines for every day. 
And if they win, if they get to DC, then that's what America gets to be. Oh yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. But that GTO is pretty fast, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe mass production is going to outstrip hard work and grit and grease on your hands. Maybe and it's important to to realize in 1971 where we are surrounded by Vietnam. It's the question of when this war is over, what will be the America that we all come home to? Is it going to be the 1955? Or is it going to be the brand new mass produced thing? It is a race for the future of the country. And I think that's so present in the minds of everyone that it can't not be a little bit about that as yeah. well. Um, right? America kind of, I feel like the America uh, that, that the driver and the mechanic inhabit is World War, is is i've been listening to a lot of dan carlin lately but yeah I think it's, it's like world war ii it's that it's the it's an america defined by hard work mm-hmm. individual grit and determination yeah. it's uniqueness it's we put this it is literally bootstrap we we pulled this car together and we're we're riding we've we've got nerves of steel we mm-hmm. do not blink we do not compromise we will serve this vision whatever the cost that's what that re- what James Taylor and and co represent. Right. And Warren Oates represents this kind of weird almost viral America that takes the best elements of itself and then copies and pastes them into infinity so that everything becomes meaningless. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most bleak and nihilistic looks at America I've ever seen because you can see it overtaking the America that that we remember and wish we wish we had even if it, again even if it never existed you're like fuck fuck the the copy and paste gto is about to wipe out this this authentic real costly meaningful rough dirty but true america and we're gonna get to a place where warren oates is gonna pull home and next door there's gonna be a 70 camaro and then another 70 yep. gto but in a different color and then there'll be a baby blue mustang with no top and the next one will be a baby blue mustang but it's a hard top and everyone's got a muscle car and none of what James Taylor does fucking matters anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're seeing it's like it's like watching the cultural apocalypse. Yeah. You know, it's it's really I really got swept up into no, this I, sucker, dude. <laughs> um, so this is around the time in the film. Uh, listener, you're in for a two parter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just so y'all are aware at this point. Um. This is when we are introduced to Lori Bird, because James Taylor and, and uh, or the, the driver and the mechanic. She just gets in their car. They're having a sandwich at the diner. A bus pulls up. She gets it's out. It's a hippie van. It's a hippie van, yeah. This is, her, her trip from vehicle to vehicle is so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and here's where we're going to start talking about Christine, where yeah. men love their cars more than they love women, and how women respond to that. Um, did you see any symbolism in... She this is so this movie's made in 71. This is after Charles Manson. This is around the time Charles Manson ended the hippie movie, yeah. essentially. Um, which interesting that Dennis Wilson should be in this film. But uh yeah. so the hippie the hippie movement's kinda on its last legs. It's dying out. The whole like free peace and love thing is going. We meet a hippie in this movie, and I think it's interesting that what he ends up doing is he basically said, I want out of this machine. Yeah. That's a fucking beautiful line. It Sorry, I got more goosebumps. No, it's all good. <laughs> but bro. like, I remember sitting on my couch and hearing that. I got fucking chills, man. I'm like, wow. Machine. I want out of this machine. You know, like, 
how many people nowadays in different language are trying to disentangle themselves from what are the, what was the big buzzword of late 2020 late stage capitalism yep. and everyone was like how do we get out of this I kind of hate this. Kind of don't like this at all. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm grinding myself down to dust to buy shit and none of my shit's making me happy. Yeah. How do I escape this? And the hippie is in the same boat. He's in a copy and paste muscle car. He thought he was getting into some, into a, you know, whatever, you know, he, he, he thought he was getting into a ride across America and what he gets into is a masturbatory fantasy that's driven by a brand new purchased consumerist product by this greedy yeah, it doesn't vapid make him feel shit. good like he thought it was no so he wants out of this mm-hmm. machine man and i love that the first thing we see the girl do is get out of the hippie car get out of this like hippie van you know where it's like man let him drink. <laughs> he and kept saying we're gonna go to the grand canyon but kept getting high <laughs> he kept he kept getting stoned and having to pull over yeah and you you're like ah a one sentence critique of the hippie uh, the hippie movement, movement. The, we, said we're gonna go see the Grand Canyon. They had Canyon. so much. Yes, they had yes. so much promise, but they just kept getting high and they fucked it up. So we bailed. Yeah. And you're like, holy wow. shit! It's the whole movie Easy Rider in a sentence. This is a fucking good movie, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, I love. So I said that as like a wanderer, as like this drifting character. Lori Bird's character, who is called the girl, and mm-hmm. she is underage. That's explicitly stated repeatedly in this movie, which will become important. Because, I think she's fourteen or fifteen. Uh you think you're right. I yeah. think she's like somewhere in the. I was I was thinking fourteen to. Yeah, I think she's definitely fourteen or fifteen, which is important because Dennis Wilson has sex with her in this mm-hmm. film, and you're like, huh? Mm-hmm. It's a weirdin. Mm-hmm. It's a weirdin. It's a 1971 movie that makes you sit in it for a little bit. Um, I but I said that she doesn't say anything they're they're in eating sandwiches they don't even notice she's in the car until they go out and get into the dennis wilson gets in the I like car they don't really they kind of look at her start the engine and drive off and there's no conversation about hey so what you doing in our no like oh apparently we've got a they and what, a partner now they speak and what's weird is there's no words no but they're speaking the same language because this is important who's the only person that the driver picks up in the entire movie it's her it's her and it's not him that chooses it she chooses the car mm-hmm. and that's i think why he lets her stay the other thing is what is the first thing that the gto asks every hitchhiker where are you headed where can i take you where are we going this car is a vehicle to get from point a to point b the driver doesn't ask because he's this car is just going and you're in it now. you're in it now so yeah doesn't matter where you're going we're going where this car is going <laughs> I, it, the beauty of just that idea alone makes me want to cry i know you know like all right, you got in my car. Off we go. You're not going anywhere. We're just going. Yep. You know, like, fuck, dude, and that's gone. That's just, that's gone. This mm-hmm. is 2021. This That doesn't exist anymore. Nope. I love, they need some cash. We can we can get our PS5 uh, VR goggles on and go visit uh, Mars. Right. I, the, <sighs> the thing that is most sad to me, and okay, like, as a horror movie fan, this is going to sound weird coming out of coming out of my mouth, but like, what destroyed this is Michael Myers, the seventies. Oh the yeah, golden age of serial killing. So many hitchhikers were murdered that hitchhiking vanished, and people stopped trusting each other. Yeah, there's a whole movie called The Hitcher about that very thing. <laughs> there's With Rutger Hauer as a hitchhiker that will 
see rest stop, see death proof. God see- damn, that's one of the most rowdy <laughs> scenes. He, he ties a, a dude gets drowned and quartered by semi trucks in that fucking movie. Like that's pretty intense. Dude. And you don't go hitchhiking and after you, that. Yeah, you kind of wonder why, like, why people stop hitchhiking, and then you see yeah. you see any movie where a hitchhiker gets murdered, and you're like. Oh, and this happened hundreds of or times. Or a over hitchhiker a is the murderer that yeah. goes from car to car. Like it's not a good thing. It's almost like a cultural, like this weird cultural reflex of mm-hmm. of, of like, I don't know what did it. I mean, there's the there's the lead theory, which we've talked about on the show before, but yeah. like, but there's there's a moment where the country kind of consensual, like makes as a consensus, like. Let's let's not um let's not trust let's not trust strangers anymore. Nope, strangers. Yeah, aren't it was safe. like a. It's pretty quick. Like overnight, sh- maybe yeah, like a, maybe year a year or two, or two but yeah. still, like, there's a pretty abrupt shift where it goes from like you can hop into a car and you can go anywhere. It's 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 Jack Kerouac's book is like three of his books are just like I just got in cars and man did I see a lot of amazing stuff, and then all of a sudden over the course of like one or two years, it's like. And 400,000 people yeah. were murdered in strangers' cars. Unsolved mysteries. Exactly. Yeah, it's probably when unsolved mysteries starts. Going from Utah to Every single <laughs> one starts with, like, she was setting out on a hitchhiking trip, and everyone's like, huh. Never to be seen. If you have any information. <laughs> like, maybe we don't do this anymore. No, that's... Um, I love, I love the mechanic's eyeball as they're driving through, because they need money. Yep. They got twenty to spend, and now they got an extra mouth in the back. So they're like, "All right, we gotta." So they they go and find every town they hit. They find where the racers are mm-hmm. because this and they is, got a nose for it too. They know exactly where to go. They do. Did you notice that most of the other drivers they race against are old men? Mm-hmm. That too, I think, is very important. And a lot of the cars they drive, they're racing against, are like. 49s and 39s like that one where they with one of my favorite lines ever um it's that ford that first ford they're driving along this uh outside this diner i think it's a diner where everyone all these cars have gathered yeah it's like a gas station slash soda soda stand or something yeah one of those cool buildings that only exists in 1971 like a texaco yeah (laughs) like the local hangout where everyone just huffs leaded gas fumes for hours um, but they're just driving along looking at these cars, beautiful cars. And, uh, the mechanics just got looking out the window and he's like, those are Carter carburetors. Lots of Chrome on that one. That one's probably uh 380. That's about 400 horse. And then he get, they drive past this one. He goes, that's Carter. Those are Carter carburetors, 11 inches of rubber on the rear. I think we got one. Yeah. He just looks and he's like, we can beat that one. We can't beat that one. That. That is, and when what do we see? Contrast that with the GTO. They tell him that he's got a problem with his engine, and he's like, "Will you drive my car to the local mechanics? Can't work on it. Can't fix Can't it. Do anything with it." There's an intimacy between the mechanic and and the '55 Chevy where he feels a bump or a shimmy or hears a sound, and he's like, "I need to make an adjustment." Mm-hmm. GTO guy, he doesn't even know anything's wrong with his car until he barely the me- knows where the gas cap is. Yeah, the mechanic listens to it drive, and he's like, "Yeah, you've got a this, this, and this. You know, we got to get that fixed, or you're gonna have a breakdown." And Warren Oates becomes like bereft. He's 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 just devastated. He's like, "Well, my car's gonna break this down. Is brand new. My How machine could have failed me. The still under warranty, you know." Like, and it's that's another one of those differences where, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing how to work on your fucking car. Sure. I'm not I'm not shitting on real life people. <laughs> I'm talking about this this nostalgic romantic mm-hmm. idea, which is he's not engaged with that thing. No, the car is a living thing to the driver and the mechanic. The car is something that the GTO bought. Um, 
You had a lot of messages, bro. How you doing? Um, so uh, I love how they bait that dude into the drag race, where he's like, "Is that a?" Oh, they fucking like. It's uh, a thirty-two actually. Yeah. He goes, he's, he goes, thirty-two Ford. That's a that's a pretty all right machine you've got there. He goes, it's more than pretty all right. You want to see? Ordinarily, I'd jump at the opportunity, but I'm not in the habit of seeing the Chevy work against a two-bit piece of junk. <laughs> I was like, what? Pardon you? Pardon you, sir? <laughs> I know you've seen fire and rain, but you're about to see my fist, <laughs> motherfucker. You know he's. No. he's it was bound to happen. There was going to be a James Taylor joke yep. somewhere, somewhere. I'm surprised it took this long, really. It's just good to know that I've got a friend. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> the floodgates have opened. They have. They have. It's it's just I've got Carolina on my mind, you know? I'm sorry. Three for three. I'm done. Now I'm really done. It's my disappointed face. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he tell him to, like, put up or shut the fuck up or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, ordinarily I jump at the opportunity, but I'm not in the habit of seeing the Chevy work against a two-bit piece of junk. Driver, the 32 Ford guy turns to him and goes, let's make it 50. If I can make it three yards, motherfucker, and we'll have an automobile race. That's James Taylor saying that. That is one of the best. There's a lot of Make good, it three yards, motherfucker, and we have a race. <laughs> an automobile race. Yeah. Dude, That the delivery of that. You can, okay, we talked a little bit earlier about how James, or not James Dean, how James Taylor's not a very good actor. Right. But what I like about that is when he's there's a scene where he's sitting on a fence talking to Lori Bird and he starts a sentence, stops, restarts in a different direction. He's like, I was thinking we could, you know, I'd like to take you down to, and you realize watching it that he just fucked the lineup. Mm-hmm. But but that, this guy hasn't talked to anyone in so right. long that he's got, you know, there's this great shot of him when they're in there. We'll talk. I'll get back to it because it's beautiful. But it's an interior shot of the car facing forward in the evening with pouring rain outside. So the inside of the 55 Chevy is like very heavily shadowed, almost pitch black. And you see the mechanic outside running from side to side, working on the engine, trying to keep the rain out. Yeah. And then you can kind of see the girl running to a Coke machine and she's like running back. They're about to leave her because they got to get back on the road. They're in a race. And the whole time, the rain's pouring down. James Taylor sits like he's not alive. He is ju- he's off because the car is off. Mm-hmm. And when, when he's out of the car and you see him trying to interact in a human way with other people. It's awkward and weird. It's super awkward and weird. And I think in a, in a strange and kind of brilliant that's way. When I, that's what I said when at the very top of the show. When I said, I feel like James Taylor is not a good actor and he's not the greatest to watch but he is sort of perfect for the part of the driver because it kind of it just works on that weird level that you couldn't get if it was if it was a good a good actor it's not it's not because you wouldn't get those true moments of he fucked his line so had to start it over again gets halfway through it and she says you bore me and walks away yeah like that rings so true and sudden and like oh that was but that was the entire scene was just that moment. It's not the best performance, no. but it's the right performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, yes, I love it. A thousand percent. It. And hearing shit like he says, like he has a couple of really, really phenomenal lines. And this is one of them. Yeah, there's you can see how and this movie was totally mismanaged. It was marketed improperly. Oh, yeah. The studio didn't like it. It disappeared. Even now, Tulane Blacktop is very hard to find. 
I could. I had to watch it it's on Facebook live <laughs> rebroadcast from someone's page. Yeah, yeah. Until I got your because it's not even though it's a Criterion release. It's not. On the it's channel. not currently on the channel. It was last year. So and it, they're out of print right now on the fucking Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. I for so listener. I and I, tell me what you think of this. But for me, me personally, I would say if you can track down. Uh, this copy I don't know what the quality of the other ones is but if you can track down the, well, the criterion, other one was a fucking Facebook live Facebook stream live streams so. if you can find the criterion re-release yeah, of Tulane blacktop it. it's it's worth you might pay 55 60 on eBay for it. it just do it pick absolutely it up. worth it um e- even if it's sleeping at times <laughs> well no it's no no yeah I'm glad that you agree that it's worth seeing it is absolutely it and, absolutely is but um, it's one of those it's deliberately paced we'll say (laughs) if it had been if this movie had gotten a different release or had gotten more traction early on like just the the number of people who love this movie should point you towards this movie Mm -hmm. but you could if this movie had just just hit a little differently you could see james taylor and dennis wilson becoming like cultural icons more so than they already were you know wonderful songwriter and amazing drummer obviously but this could be a, a film that's as iconic as Easy Rider is. Absolutely. And I, even though I don't, you you haven't rewatched it recently. No, it will be though. Sure. It's, I think that just based just based right now, top of your head, this is clearly a superior film to Easy Rider. Oh, yeah, leaps perfect. and yeah. fucking bounds yes. better. But it, no one knows about it. <laughs> it drives me insane. Um, and no one, zero people knew about this until Death Proof. Yeah. The only reason I knew this movie even existed was because it got mentioned in a Quentin Tarantino movie with Vanishing Point and Crazy Mary, La- Harry Larry, or whatever the fuck that other movie is. Wasn't that a band? No. Harry, but, Mary, Larry, Gary, and <laughs> Jerry. Larry, Daryl, and Daryl is from the <laughs> Newhart show. Anywho, <laughs> but it's like, because they name drop like 15 different fucking car movies in right. Death Proof. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. No one, zero. Less than one percent of the population would be even marginally aware of this film without Tarantino. I agree. Dropping its name in in Death Proof. How many movies? I cannot even tell you. I we actually part of our part of the way that Carl and I program the shows, listeners. I have a master list called Tarantino says. Yeah. And it's every movie that I've ever been able to find in an interview or referenced in his films that Tarantino has referenced or said that he liked or said that was an influence of his. And just off the top of my head, like Shogun Assassin, never would have seen that. But in Kill Bill Volume Two, that's what Ichi the Killer is that one? Uh, I don't think he references Ichi, but um. Shogun Assassin is on TV in. Fuck, oh yeah, yeah in fucking and then Buckaroo Banzai is referenced in to Kill Bill. Like, there's so many movies that I never would have seen. Anyone who hasn't seen Red Sun. Which is a fucking western starring Charles Bronson about a cowboy who has to escort a samurai to go and fucking kill a group of people in the desert after a train heist goes wrong. Never would have known about that, but nope. Tarantino went on Grindhouse Database, which I cannot pimp enough on this show. I don't know why. It's because we talked about the Mac. And I got yeah. pimps on the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I cannot recommend enough. People who dig like the this throwback kind of movie, Grindhouse Database. Just look it up on Google it is a comprehensive list of like all of that, all of the movies. Some of that those you lists are bullshit. Seen. This one isn't. Some are just like we're gonna take every fucking like anything that ever hit right, a, right, a drive right. in ever. This is different. It's this a is different. More curated. It's more curated. Yeah. 
Tarantino's top ten spaghetti westerns. Tarantino's yep. top ten grindhouse flicks. Like you can, because there are a couple box sets you can accidentally like stumble into that are literally someone just like threw a dart at a they were like, warehouse somewhere. I'm like, oh that, yep. Grab me the Perfect. first fifty movies out of the trash can. We'll exactly. put them in a box set. <laughs> Zero curation <laughs> happening. Um, yeah. So I, where were we at? Oh, we we just we just got to the 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 drag race between the thirty two and the fifty five. The fifty five Chevy wins without much to do. Mm-hmm. This is an this is the first time we're gonna see in this movie that the the actual drag races are really not that important. They don't matter. The, the movie gives you the fast cars to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. You will see the cars jump off the line. Mm-hmm. You will see the the roaring. Fast forward to the end of this movie, we get a really interesting and fairly long by design scene of, of the girl sitting in the stands looking bored out of her fucking mind, twiddling her thumbs, toying with her clothes while race after race and oh here's the cars and let's get some water on these tires boys oh let's rev them up and everyone's all all the people around her are losing their shit and she's just like Mm. so utterly disengaged from that world that after like three minutes of watching just two cars driving in a straight line and then cutting back to Lori bird being totally fucking bored out of her mind you realize like oh yeah this is pretty a, a pretty rarefied War or a pretty uh, exclusive world like unless you're really into this kind of thing it doesn't matter it's like watching nascar if you're not a nascar fan exactly and, and it's the like most boring thing you could ever watch unless you're into it and you have a driver and you're like tony stewart's my dude and two <laughs> tony day. stewart's my dude um joe gibbs racing i tell you him and, and bobby labani <laughs> That was like well, like late '90s racing teams that I was into. Okay, so. I I only know one. I was stationed in Virginia, man, driver. and I bartended part time out in town, in Norfolk, Virginia. I will say this: I I did go to one NASCAR event. My dad that wanted me to see. It. Blocked, dude. It's the the it's just camping with a loud race happening just, all fucking weekend. Just the volume and the feeling yeah. of in, of that many engines, that powerful ripping by. Like you don't really understand what NASCAR is until back, you're in the stands. And back in my day when I was going to races, yeah, like yeah. if you had a pack of cigarettes, back when it was a Winston Cup and Winston was a huge sponsor, if yeah. you had any pack of cigarettes, you could have one cigarette left. If you go to the Winston, fucking big area and you give them whatever pack you have however many cigarettes left they give you two packs of winston's now see that's an america i can that's get an america i can get behind so every, everyone that knew how to do this like you would you would bring your pack of cigarettes sure. but you'd only have one you'd smoke your cigarettes and then oh got one left i'm gonna go to the winston tent and, and trade it for two, trade packs, it for two of packs of winston jesus christ <laughs> They don't do that anymore. No wonder, we- <laughs> no wonder now America's like starting the, to crumble. It's like the Sprint Cup or whatever. They don't even give you extra minutes. Like, Yeah, what lame. Like, hey, I just ran out of minutes. And they're like, that sucks. Get a better plan. Get a top-up card from Walmart, you piece of shit. Get the <laughs> like, fuck away from me. You're bothering me. <laughs> get your cricket out of here. <laughs> they just tase you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Is that a flip phone, you loser? Oh, this um, is burner. <laughs> Be like, I, I got no minutes left on my drug phone. <laughs> Here, give me a pack of Winston's. <laughs> give you two packs of Winston's. Put them in your gas tank. Um, <laughs> this movie, so I have a note here that's kind of not tied to anything, but this movie reminds me of Easy Rider, Road to Paloma, Wild Angels, not in the action because the action is sparse, mm-hmm. but the nomadic drifting freedom, yeah. the look at rough living, impoverished but free, yeah. living uh, the driver and the mechanic literally live 
to feed this lurching, hungry, sickly beast. Because if you do that, she'll take you anywhere you want to go, keep you hungry and lean, and remind you that you're really alive every time you hear her scream. That, That is my early read. This is page one of four pages Man. of notes, dude. I know. I got... It got me. This movie got its hooks in me, dude. It's 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 like it was. It's like we've we've now watched all of those: Easy Rider, yep. Road to Paloma, Wild Angels. We watched Hell Ride, which is kind of a goofy ass flick, but we watched all these movies, and all of them kind of strummed that that part of me. You know, mm-hmm. like I was, I felt those movies each in their own way. The first one, though, that actually like played a tune that I could recognize in me that's, was that's this awesome. movie, dude. Um, so shortly after, uh, Lori Bird, really quick, let me, uh, let me re- I pulled up Wikipedia because I was curious about Lori Bird. She's an American film actress and photographer. She okay. was only in three films. She had a very short life too, unfortunately. She oh, was no. born in 1952, died in 1979. Um, two of the films were directed by Monty Hellman. One of them is Tulane Blacktop. Um, she was also, oh, so she was actually like 19 when they filmed this. Yes. Yeah, so she she was in Tulane Blacktop in seventy one, Cockfighter in nineteen seventy four. She also took all of the still photography for that one. Wow! And she does have a small role as um, Paul Simon's girlfriend in Annie Hall in nineteen seventy seven. Um, so that's seventy seven, and she dies in seventy nine. And this is kind of interesting. In seventy nine, Lori Bird died by suicide by taking an overdose of Valium in the apartment she shared with Art Garfunkel. What in New York. F- she was Art Garfunkel's oh, girlfriend. Garfunkel was deeply affected by her death. He says, She was beautiful in a lonesome, haunted way, and I adored her, but I wasn't ready for marriage, and she was not very comfortable being Lori. She wasn't happy with herself. Her mother died by suicide at 26, and so did she. Holy shit. Yeah, she's, uh, I mean, all you gotta do is see her face, and you can see, yeah. especially her performance in this is minimalist and innocent, and it has a... There's a real sense. There's, there's. If you've ever seen an actress, an older actress, try and play childish, mm-hmm. most of the time that fails. Yep, it comes across as childish, a childish performance. Yeah, like, like oh my little oh, kid. Yeah, this doesn't though. This feels well, I mean, like she a, feels like she's fourteen. She does, and she's nineteen apparently. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, okay, let's be real. Warren Oates is the best performance in this movie. Easily. Sorry, he just is. Like, De- I like, I love Dennis Wilson in this. That yeah, me too. Like, he's he's got a real chill vibe. He's, he's a he's the cool one in the group. He yeah, he's the cool one. And Warren Oates is clearly like number. He's he's a powerhouse. Yeah, he's incredible. But, he really is. But Laurie Bird, hers is maybe the most realistic mm-hmm. in that kind of like gritty real this is what real life is yeah she know? makes me uncomfortable that's how good ditto it like, <laughs> ditto fuck um when she get when she gets in the gto this is the most uncomfortable i've been watching a movie since straw dogs yeah well especially kind of seeing that like that little like warren oates kind of like hey you like music what kind of what kind of put something on put something on what do you stick it in the slot and you're like warren oh, oates warren, you dude. gotta listen. listen pump the brakes on this gto yeah because they're brand new and they will they will stop what you're doing. You're gonna want to stop what you're doing, um, but very shortly after they meet her is when she and the because the mechanic is the one who talks to her. Yep. 
The reason the mechanic's the one who talks to her is because the driver's driving. When the driver's driving, he, he is, is the driver. just driving. Yeah. So she's, she's giving him the mechanic little shoulder rubs. She, like, she rubs the driver's shoulder. Yeah, that's right. She's like, "You got this knot. I like it that way." Yep. <laughs> like, I like it because your fucking hands off. Yeah, and she's like, "Jesus." See, so, yeah, that's right. It's James Taylor that goes to the bar while yeah the he, mechanic and he goes for a drink. He says, "I'll meet you back at the hotel," and we get that kind of see. And this is one of those things where you, in any other movie, you would cut out the scene where Dennis Wilson's laying on the bed. And Lori Bird comes over and messes up all of the, the blankets and then walks away. And Dennis Wilson has to be like, hmm. what the fuck was that about? She pulled the covers back. Does she want to, should I fix the bed? Wait, why was she over by the bed? And given the no dialogue, given the dynamic, seeing Dennis Wilson actually doing pretty good work. Yep. You're like, oh, they're oh. going to have sex now. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, I love I love the return of James Taylor to the hotel, but before that, we're in the bar and he witnesses. Um, I think it's the thirty-two Ford driver breaking up with his, getting broken up, broken with up with, by with his, his girl. Yeah, you're all about this. You don't give a shit about me, or right? About the, yeah, and she gets up and she's like, "Well, fuck you, man," and walks out. And the that thirty-two Ford driver looks over and sees James Taylor sitting at the bar, and again, brilliant move on the movie's part. James Taylor doesn't say shit. He just looks at the guy like. The the look, the eyebrows is just like, tough luck, man. Yep. It's legit as chill as that. And that's another part of that, like, old school America, where if this was Warren Oates who saw this, he'd have come over and sat down and been like, well, listen, everybody's got their woman troubles. In fact, one time right. when I was <laughs> playing this game of cards for that GTO you see out there, I lost a girlfriend too, but I gained a lover in that video. You know, like, right. he would have a speech because that's the America we're moving towards, where everyone's going to tell everyone else how great they are. But back then you didn't need to because it spoke for itself. I kicked your ass in a race earlier, but I can empathize. I appreciate. Yep, I empathize with the fact that you just lost your lady. Little tip of the and we don't. Yeah, and we don't. Little need, tip of the cap. That's we, it. We don't have to say any of that. What a classy order, too. Can I get a whiskey and a beer? Yeah, Sits down. That's my. I call that a happy meal. Happy meal. Yeah, man. It's the number one. Most of the rest of the world calls that a boilermaker, but I'm gonna start calling mine. <laughs> happy meal. I fucking it's love a, that. A fucking a bourbon on the rocks right? and a beer. Yeah. Or just a shot of bourbon and you sip it, whatever. What, yeah, you, what are you doing meal. this week? We need a day off. We got to go out somewhere and get a happy meal together, brother. Uh, it's anytime, baby. My schedule gets back to normal now. So Wednesdays and Thursdays. I'm heading in the same direction. I cannot fucking wait to just hang out with you, man. Dude, it's going to be good. It's going to be so good. I, think I might actually be retweaking my Rex Murphy deck again anyway. Anyway. Yeah. We'll yeah. Well, you. Sh- I mean, I have tons of experience points. I'm going to teach you the Lord of the Rings living card game and the Marvel Champions living card game. Get on over. I got that, gr- dude. I've already grilled twice. You don't have to buy any more cards because I'm already fucking. I'm in <laughs> debt now. I, the Lord of the Rings game went out of print. <laughs> I bought it all up. Fucking hey, brother. Like eight hundred dollars. Don't say that into the mic. Danielle might hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anywho. Yeah, two lane blacktop. Speaking of consumerism, like what the listener just heard was a fucking cardboard. The the voice just faded out, and then a car sound. (laughs) Groovy man. Groovy, groovy man, groovy. Um, the 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 hearing him, the driver hearing the mechanic and the girl having sex through the door, Mm -hmm. is one of the more interesting moments. Because he gets to the door and he he almost has the key in the lock when he hears what's happening inside. And it's oh, I love how they handle this, dude. I really do. The, do you know we we talked a little bit about like 
audio in films over the last year i've i've we've kind of i think collectively become more aware of yeah of very much so. using like using sounds representatively rather than just like this is how the film sounds um i can <laughs> I, I can hear a wilhelm scream for a mile away <laughs> <laughs> um I love that the driver. The, my my first initial read on this was, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. The the driver has no place in this world mm-hmm. of human connection because he's the driver. Right. That's this is part of the cost, you know. Like and and again, like God bless the weekend warriors because who the fuck would want to pay this price? You know, like this is it's like people who say like, oh, I would love to be John Wick. Really? Would you, you though? Yeah, your wife is dead. You've lost everything. You, your brand new puppy. Yeah, you're you're living a life on the run, constantly like you've been shot. You always have a bullet in you somewhere. You're constantly wounded and in pain. Or like, oh man, I'd love to be John McClane. Really? Kid hates him. Wife divorced. Both kids hate him. Yeah, his, his hips are fucked up. His back is fucked up. Well, we got we don't have to we don't have to acknowledge his that he has two children. Post-traumatic stress is horrible. Well, we established that in the first Die Hard. We don't have to. We don't have to establish that their... he's a agent in Russia. That's uh, not. He's not though. He's just a. Cab driver. Yes, he is. That's right. He fo- He actually he works for uh, Zeus in yes. his in his pawn shop in <laughs> yes, New York very yes. happily. Right, and he bought it from him when he retired. It's now like a sort of this weird family business. Right, yeah, and they they write you know like there's letters. They yep. they're, they see each other for Christmas and they never went to Russia. Ever. Why would you go? To- Ever. This is a dumb place to go to. It's cold there. And John McClane is is mature enough to love his son and not make stupid comments like McClane's don't cry or whatever. Right. We don't we don't say dumb shit like that. But it's the same thing when people are like, I'm going to be John McClane. You're like, you're not thinking about this. You're enough. not thinking about you it. You don't want to be John McClane. The, you want to well, shoot an MP5 and and say quippy dialogue? Who doesn't? The week? Well, dude, that's the Weekend Warrior. You go pay a thousand dollars and shoot a Tommy gun and yeah. blow up a car, and then you go home to your family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like I under romantically, you see like why the driver's appealing. But seeing this, you're like, that is an expensive ticket. Yeah, for that kind of authenticity, for that that amount, I don't think people can deal with the intensity of that kind of life. Most people. It's just too much. The amount of work, the amount of fear, the mm-hmm. amount of hunger, like that takes a huge toll on people. There's a reason that like a lot of our, our heroes from these movies die in like their 30s, you know? It's because living that way all the way out with the light bulb. It's a fucking toll, man. Hunter S. Thompson's fucking, this is bleak, but Hunter <sighs> S. Thompson's. He's one of my favorite. Ones. Me too. I just started uh, listening to Generation of Swine. You've read The Great Shark Hunt, right? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, Absolutely. But um, he's his suicide note. I think encapsulates a confusion mm-hmm. because Hunter S. Thompson's a man who lived that way. He lived with the dial at eleven, knowing he was going out at thirty-five. You know, like fuck. There's no the amount of drugs I do. I'm shooting guns at my neighbor. I'm, dri- right. I'm driving cars, hot motorcycles, high on acid with no helmet at night on rainy streets with the fucking throttle. Down. I know I'm not making it. I am it to not 45. going to <laughs> yeah. hit 40. Yeah. And then he lives to like 65, and his suicide note is like, he's, I can't remember exactly, but he says his age is like 65, 30 more years than I, than I than thought I that I would, yeah, yeah, than I, than I thought I deserved or wanted. And you're like, yeah, 
I don't think the driver thinks he's hitting 40 either. Oh, no. These dudes are living all the way out. That, I don't think that they're even considering their longevity at all. They're living so much today. in the moment. Right, right. You're not thinking, you don't get that rumination and that fucking, that, that pit or that whatever that feeling is, you feel right underneath your heart pocket. Where yes. you're that it's like an anxiety that's just constantly aware of how many years do I at best say I'm 88, I've got 32. There's none of that fucking no. anxiety because it's they don't have a 401k, today. they don't have a reti- retirement today plan. Is the last today is the day they got 300, yeah. 300 racing bread and 20 to spend. That's it, that's that's now, yep, and now is what they've got. And that's so this movie does definitely have that like romantic. That, sure. That that patina of nostalgia and oh what a these are men living authentic lives. But also this this desperate moment or this not desperate, desolate moment when James Taylor does not open the door because he does not have a place in an, in a world of inter, interpersonal relationships. I don't think he really holds it against the mechanic either because the mechanic's not the driver. Right, exactly. But he sits down outside the door and just waits for like this, it to be done. It to be done. Yeah. And he sits there, and the it's one of the most beautiful little bits of audio I've ever heard because what you hear is somebody drives by in the parking lot, and they drive by in a muscle car, and you hear that that throaty V8 splutter. It's quiet. It's quiet. Like he, you hear the sex happening, and then James Taylor like crouches by the door with this blank look on his face, and you realize like, oh yeah, this is a really lonely life that he's chosen for himself. This is not like. You know, looking for adventure. This is like, I I'm so isolated from humanity that I'm gonna just sit outside with a blank expression on my face until I can have ten seconds of life when I'm on the line and the flag goes down and I am fucking a quarter mile. That feel, and that's the other thing is like, how can we as as you and I are the average viewer? How could we possibly fathom? How that ten seconds must feel for you to trade everything for that, for that. Yeah. and then as he's sitting out there listening to That's the sounds of heroin, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's eight hours of feeling nothing, and then you just all the tingles of the world come back, and you're like, let me hide. But but dude, the sounds of sex, and then the siren call of the driver's lust splutters by these open throated carbs purring. You know, it's just. It's fucking. It's brilliant mm-hmm. because the love, their lust, is behind the closed doors and out of sight, and then his lust just rolls by. Just rolls by, and you're like, "That's we just saw why he's not why he doesn't go in. His his sex is out there. Exactly. His sex is so far beyond your sex that he would rather just crouch in silence than sully himself with carnal pleasure. It's fucking weird. Ah, <sighs> uh, um. I don't even know what that means. Um, the, oh, this the the GTO character remind that reminded me of Brokeback Mountain a little bit, which is kind of weird. That's interesting. I know. I don't know. I think the connection was um, the difference between uh, Heath Ledger's truck and Jake oh, Gyllenhaal's okay. truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're like they're both cowboys. It's that it, dude. It's the it's the Honda Goldwing and fucking the forty nine Panhead. But it's like Heath Ledger's a cowboy. Dirty Carhartt jacket all ripped up His truck like oh doesn't start on the first try He kicks it in the side oh now it starts Jake Gyllenhaal brand new jacket Brand new parka F-150, yeah. yeah yeah it's it, extended cab It's a dually yep. you know like it's He's got the beautiful fucking 
Yeah, and then you, <laughs> you keep doing, and you keep doing the thing where you look at them, and you side by side, and you go, I I understand yeah. that you're the same thing, but you are not at all the same thing, and I, I think that was part of the Brokeback Mountain thing. Um, Oates bought this one fresh off the line, an empty toy, a devoid of love, blood, and fear. Or did he? Or does he change his story to garner attention <laughs> from his passengers? This is exactly what he does. Oh, man. It, did you get a little chill when you realized that the movie... Because I think it's like maybe 40 minutes in or so, or so that they pull up to they pull up to the same gas station as Oates. And then to like, to like self-aggrandize or to like create a sense of personal grandeur. He's like, I don't appreciate you boys following me across three states. And they look at him like, the fuck? Oh. You must be that GTO guy. Sorry, all yeah. of the cars look the same to us because yeah. our car is fucking legit. Well, I think that it's, and that's what I, I, I mentioned before. It's like he he's behind them most of the time. They're, they're not following him. No. He's always coming up behind them. Like, they're in the gas station before him. Right. And he comes up behind them. You guys are following... Who's following who, asshole? Like right. you're clearly Yeah, they're filling up they're when he filling pulls up. up he's he like, now up. you yeah. stop following me and they're but like But that's part of his like he's got that set in his head that he keeps seeing these guys. Obviously they're following him. He's looking for adventure. Yeah, for whatever, whatever comes, comes his, his way. way. Exactly. And he's this is he's he's like retroactively myth building for himself. Exactly. He's like, I went on a cross country trip and these, these this Chevy was following yeah. me the whole way. And just because that's not real doesn't matter because part of what he's doing is there's a great line in that essay where they they i can't I, w- I won't be able to find it like quickly but i believe that he says something like whereas an easy rider it's two men rolling across an idealized america that never existed in tulane blacktop it's people driving across a patchwork america that's a, repro- a repository for dreams and fantasies yeah fuck. which is really really cool um let me yeah, and we'll hit those later because those, those are kind of interesting. But the moment that I realized that this was going to be a movie about a cross country, a multi day cross country race with pink slips on the line, I got a little tangled, dude. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, I saw, I saw Fast and Furious. I know what racing for pinks racing means. Racing for pinks, that's really someone's funny. losing a car, and then. <laughs> And you know what? Really? Oh my god, it's so funny. It's a stupid story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. Do so, it. Uh, Danielle and I, we went to one of our favorite restaurants the other day. We went to the Olive Garden, and uh, we pull up. I, uh, you know, pull up uh, next to this. It was like, it was like the GTO. It's someone had their Fast and the Furious car with the rims and, sure. the, and the vanity plate, and it was always. I'm like, this person is never <laughs> seen a lot of movies, and I, and I pull up next to it. And I start to park, and I go, Daniel, do you think Vin wants to go racing for banks? She she didn't know what the fuck I was talking about, because I just say random shit. Right, yeah, she's like, let me drive, you're having a stroke. You're having a stroke, no, I was like, no, look at the shit next to us, and she lost her shit. She's like, he probably has never driven over 80 miles an hour in his entire life. <laughs> like, you're probably right. Bert and I were driving uh, down to pick up our bees the other day, and we were talking about, I, I was driving on the highway, and I went a little, accidentally went a little quick in the, uh, we have a forester, I'm not in like, you know, I'm not oh, in. me too. I'm not in a, super, <laughs> yeah. I'm in a, a flat four, you know, the boxer four. Oh, yeah. And I had her up at like 90, and I was like, ooh, going a little quick there. Bird's like, how fast were we going? I'm like, like 90 miles an hour, and we're fine. I'm, I'm letting her back down. She goes, you were going 90? 
and, and I'm, she's like, is that the fastest that we you've ever gone? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, oh, dear, definitely no. not. <laughs> There's a straight stretch on the way to Sault Ste. Marie. And I was like, when I was a kid, I used to take my parents' Chevy Venture, the minivan, oh my God. take her take her all the way to the limiter and bounce it off the limiter, hit 110. Oh, and the governor. Yeah, the, the governor. Dean. You hit it, it drops you back to like yep. 100, and then you hit 110 again, and it bounce back down, so you find that sweet spot at like 109, yep. and you just keep her pegged. I was like, Wah. She's like, you drove a minivan 110 miles an hour? I'm like, yeah. It's a straight stretch. You can see there's no deer, and if you've never gone that fast, man, you should try it sometime. Going fast is real fucking fun. That's the that's when I realized I didn't know what a governor was until I was racing my buddy, not racing. I was driving my friend Subaru real fast back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you don't you think you can go at the speedometer says like 160 or whatever? Yeah, but you get to like 119, it goes boom, boom, and if you boom. if you've got the gas yeah. pegged and it goes because it'll it'll drop you down, but then once it goes low enough, it just reengages. Yep. You think you broke the car? I thought I broke. Yeah. It was my parents' minivan, and I'm like, oh, Sam, we're in so much. He was trouble. like an Impreza or something, and I was like, <laughs> I just broke his fancy car. He's like, oh, did you just hit the governor? No, you just hit the governor, man. Yeah, you're fine. Like, you got to get that fixed, bro. <laughs> yeah, you got to take that right off there, man. I was looking at all this beautiful, like, there's like 40 more miles per hour that yeah. I could have worked my way through, but you got this Apparently dumb little... Not, this dumb little thing to keep us from killing ourselves. You got to take the seatbelt off that engine, dude. Right. Um, speaking of uh, of going quick, we're going to quickly take a break. Um, ah, so, nice yes, we're going to... Um, it makes it easier for me to edit when we break two-parters nice. in episodes. So, listener... Tulane Blacktop. This is a movie that warrants much discussion, believe me. If you haven't seen it, try and see it. If you can't find a copy of it, that's a shame. Listen to our discussion of it and then get a copy as soon as you fucking can. It's outstanding. So we will rejoin you very shortly. The episode will probably drop. I don't even know when we're going to record it, but it'll drop very, very shortly after this one. So that is the end of of the first part of our discussion of Tulane Blacktop. Thank you to all of our patrons. Stay tuned. Part two is coming. As... Auto May June Bill. Yeah, Auto May June. <laughs> Auto May June Bill. Just roll. It keeps on. Just rolls off the tongue. R- roaring on. Groovy man. <laughs> <laughs> Saved it. Yeah, that was us driving off into the sunset. Oh wait, we're back. We're on the radio. We have to drive drive out no, into the sunset. <laughs>